Jason Hill, Michael is a little out of pocket today, but uh, we got a few people to fill in. So I'm Casey Davis, as usual. Yep. Mike's uh, Mike Sterling's here. We got Kirk, Kirk Henderson. I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> it's like Harry and the Hendersons. I just it's just Kirk. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't call him Captain Kirk. He gets a little butthurt. God. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's it. it. We should I'm call leaving. him Tiberius. <laughs> she can't do it, Captain. We called him Data on the other show, and he got real, me up, real, Scotty. Real mad about that too. So I don't know. Said I'm not a robot. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, want to yeah. hear you guys didn't grow up with the Mikey likes it slogans. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Mine yeah. was beat me up, Scotty. Yeah, I actually thought about us doing like a product review or a plane review or something, and then having Mike fly it. It's like, and if you're wondering, he likes it. Yeah, Mikey <laughs> likes it. That man's wrong. <laughs> so wait, does that mean if I fly it, then the mighty Casey strikes out? Ooh. Yeah, I don't know that one. You don't know? Oh, I don't know oh, that one. Wow, Mudville Nine, huh? Yeah, I'm still lost. All right. <laughs> yeah, there's a few of them I don't know. That's okay. A very select few. Yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, Clay is on point on about ninety percent of stuff. He is my. Uh, I mean, really, like I'll run stuff by him. He's my fact checker. <laughs> Verit- I mean, I, absolutely, dude. <laughs> a veritable encyclopedia yeah, of I, useless I, information. I, I, yeah. Useless. Yeah. <laughs> Useless information. Get it right, Kirk. Cliff Clavin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to correct you when you say then instead of then. That wasn't me. That was Clint. No, that was Larry. Oh, was sorry. Larry. That Yeah, that yeah. was that was Larry. See, oh, I yeah. was wrong on that one, too. Yeah. 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 Well, this week we got a got an interesting topic that we're going to bring to you. Uh, Jason Hill is going to talk with us about EDF power systems, EDF jets. Um, what else, Jason? Uh, there's a couple of related topics, but it's mostly uh, batteries and speed controls that are definitely related to EDF power systems. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely interested in that. As a you know, actually today uh, was the very first time I got to try out a turbine, <laughs> and uh, you know, turbine is something that I've been interested in at least uh, for the last few months, and I've always felt like EDF would probably be a good step uh, towards that direction. Definitely. You know, something uh, yeah, to segue it. we segue from what I fly now before jumping straight into, you know, multi-thousand dollar uh, turbines and what have you. But you took, you like flew that whole time. Mike was going to let me fly it. You used up all the gas. <laughs> oh, He's a timer whore. Yeah. Yep. That's all right. <laughs> well, I could have got my first time on a turbine today too. Thanks, Clay. Well, so it happened to me and Mike last weekend. <laughs> we were wanting to fly the 114-inch extreme flight slick and uh we got about what a minute and a half each yeah about that <laughs> yeah so and we went past the fuel timer on it to, to get our minute and a half or whatever it was but that Good was job. a good experience though thanks, Man, super that's a team. cool airplane yeah thanks super tim yeah that was that was an awesome airplane i don't know what i'm sure you agree don't you mike absolutely yeah so uh if you guys don't know mike and i did get a chance to go out to the sad 3d festival in tucson last weekend Excellent event, great time. Uh, they were limited to fifty pilots, but man, the fifty that were there, it was a good time and uh, great weather for the most part, and lots of good flying. So we, uh, I don't even know, we don't have a term for it yet, but we flew in and uh, flew some OPP. 
you know, just flew other people's planes. So you download OPP? Oh yeah, yeah you know me. You know me. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, people so. are pretty good with that unless you uh, rekit one and your OPP kind of disappears after that. Yeah, understandably. How, how how does that rule work? If you ask to fly it, you're responsible for it. If somebody hands you the radio, they're responsible for it. Depends if you have a conscience or not. It yeah. it still it, hurts your you know it doesn't matter when it's a. If 100 cc plus airplane, it still hurts your feelings pretty good, no matter if you would let them offered or not. Well, well so, me and Clay well, have talked about this that if you're flying someone else's plane and they've offered it to you, and there's a mechanical failure, something like that, you're off the hook. But if you dumb thumb it or you do something that kind of results of the mechanical failure, you should step up to it. Yeah. If you're not flying circles and you know. It's, right. That's just my thoughts on it. And I've unfortunately buried a few people's airplanes over the years. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I, I've smacked my share of them too. And I've had to buy a couple. Well, I was giving Clay well, a hard time about taking up the timer on that uh, turbine today. If I'd have got handed the radio, I'd have handed it right back. Yeah. There, uh, there wouldn't have been, a, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. But you do have to tell everybody what SAD stands for, though Society of Aircraft Demolishers. Yeah. So it's fitting. You know, believe it or not, though, there wasn't that many crashes there. It was really... Like five was the... Maybe total. Yeah. It, it was either four or five. And, uh, what, two of them were dead sticks, I believe. Like, the the CD of the event, when they did the raffle and, the, you know, and all that, is like, there hasn't been a bad enough crash. No one gets the award. We're saving it to next year. He's like, <laughs> I'm not giving an award to somebody that dead sticked. So, uh... I think uh, maybe what a couple hours later, guy drove a hundred cc MXS into the ground, wide open, and it wasn't his airplane. Oh. Ouch! So they got the award. At last I saw, he was uh, talking to Super Tim about purchasing Mine. a a new airframe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I only caught the very last little bit of that flight, but when I saw it, it was probably in the neighborhood of about. Uh, 70, 80 degrees off, you know, vertical, nearly. Full thought on a high-speed stall. Wide open. <laughs> oh. And it uh, it went in the cactus. And, uh, what, six or eight people went out there, and every one of them had something in their hands when they come back. See, that's punishment out there. You not only lose your airplane, you also get... You got to fight to get it back. Out there. Yeah. Yeah. Don't walk backwards. No. Yeah. I think the, the interesting thing about the Society of Aircraft Demolishers is... Almost everyone that's going to hear this has been a member at some point, knowingly or not. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. What's funny, it was like every Facebook group, though. If you post something, it's always amateurs or, you know, beginner or something like that. Like, yeah. I was flying when you were still swimming in your... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You ain't even found your way out yet. That's right. You know, I mean, the fact is, is the only way to guarantee not to tear one up is don't fly it. That's absolutely right. You know, if you want a pristine airplane all the time, you know, just put it together and look at it, I guess. Hanger queen. But that's not for me. I'm going to take that chance every day. I saw one the other day that a guy uh, been flying 20 years had his first, just had his first crash. And it's like, you're not flying very hard if 20 years and you just tore your first one up. I, I saw your comment on that, and I was already thinking it, and you said it for me. So. <laughs> Well, I have found after this last swap meet, picking up a, a really cheap airframe and things like that. Well, well, you know, you you, you have a little more, um, I don't know, 
not necessarily confidence, but but it's okay to to go out and beat on it a little bit because yeah. you don't have anything to lose. Yeah, yeah. I'm know? hoping I was new acquirement. Oh, I I forgot that's even in the back of my truck. Yeah, you're supposed to bring that <laughs> I up. I forgot here. all about it. We're gonna hang it up. <laughs> yeah, you are. It's yeah. the brown bomber. Yeah. <laughs> that thing needs to be thrashed. The brown bomber. What is it again? It's I don't a four even star forty. Four star forty. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to die quickly. I think we have. A, <laughs> I, think, I think we can arrange that. And I think Clay came up with a really good plan for that. It's. I like it. It might require some paintball guns and things like that. It'll be fun. We're going to need a lot of CO two and a lot of paintballs. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to require a trip to a another field south of here. I think we're going to try to find a uh, paintball sponsor on this deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Unfortunately, I don't know anybody. Well, here, I, here's what I think, man. There's a couple of air, uh, you know, paintball fields around. I'm pretty sure if I show up and be like, hey, we're going to have this event. I want you to get you and 10 of your buddies to bring all their stuff out here and we get to take turns. I'm thinking that's an easy, easy sell. I don't think that's hard. I don't think we have to but, spend any money. I think I can get somebody to show up, so bring all the ammo and everything. Get this. Our club is next to a gun range, and I've thought many times, how about we go to their club, because it's, it's a membership-based deal too. How about we go to those guys and say, hey, look, uh, we got these paintball guns, or if you guys got some paintball guns, we're going to offer up three or four airplanes for you. It's going to cost you 20 bucks a piece. Bring all the paintballs you can shoot at it. Rain Hill. And make it a fundraiser deal. I honestly think we could make pretty decent money off of it. Yeah. Dude, that's and like then a- I'm going to show a bunch of shooters actually how hard it is to hit these airplanes with a paintball gun. Yeah. I've shot in a neighborhood of about 4,000 paintballs at one, and I think we hit it like, you remember what I was telling you, it was like 60, 70 times. Yeah. But we shot 4,000 to hit it that many times. It's harder than it looks. It's extremely hard because paintballs don't go straight. No. They go left, they go right, they go up, and it's considerably harder than you think it is. That reminds me of the like the high school, you know, homecoming deal. You got the car bash, you know, somebody pays five bucks yeah. and they get to whack the crap. They out get of the, the sledgehammer yeah, for five yeah, minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that. I like that idea. We need to do. Well, that. They want to offer up some big money. We'll put the ultra flash out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're gonna need about eight grand. <laughs> you. You're gonna to have to come out there with a little, uh, little extra for the ultra flash. But well, the thing is, I, is I bet we'll it. go through. I'll give a anybody lot. a twenty dollar bill that even lands one on it. So <laughs> that's what I was fixing to say. I was like, but good luck yeah. hitting it. Yeah, you, you know have what, to be uh, so far ahead of it. The uh, outlaw flying wing. Oh yeah, I actually watched a show uh, where they had professional shotgun shooters trying to hit an outlaw, and they were having trouble. The first two or three passes, nobody hit it. Period. And that's with a shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, my only thinking about that is like, if you've ever been a duck hunter, and I've hunted ducks and shot teal, dude, that's, if you can hit a teal at full speed, you're a pretty good shot. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I just feel like if somebody, if they would bring it within 40 yards, 50 yards, I'm going to dust its ass, but <laughs> I could be wrong. I don't know. I hadn't tried to bird, shoot one with a 30 shotgun. 30 mile an hour is fast for any bird. Yeah, in level flight. And yeah, I guess you're right. You know, you take a an outlaw going 140, 150 miles an hour. Yeah. It's gonna cover yeah. some. You're gonna be a pretty good lead on that airplane. Yeah, that increases your lead distance dramatically. Yeah. Hey, I'm down to take shots at your ultra flash. I'm just. Thinking, <laughs> I'll put that out there with yeah. paintball. Yeah, with paintball, whatever. <laughs> the good thing with that can cause an airplane. It would be our luck, though. It would go in the intake oh, and dude. flame it out. Oh, yeah. It would be a bad deal. Well, so I told you about shooting the uh, 
Duraplane. It's a, made out of the PVC gutter pipe. They mm-hmm. put a hole in it. There's a hole in the side of the fuselage from a paintball. So, eh, I'm, I'm not taking my chances. <laughs> I'll sit back and watch you guys. No, we're, we're not going <laughs> to shoot the ultra flash. <laughs> Don't store your paintballs in the freezer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, these were really old paintballs. We had a few bust in the barrel and all that. It was a, it was a little bit of trouble, but it was uh, one of my birthday event deals that we did a couple of years ago. It was a good time. We had a lot of fun with it. That'd be way more fun than laser tag. Oh yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into it. I want to hear some stuff by EDFs. <laughs> learn us, Jason. Learn us. All right, all right. Um, Teach us, so great one. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) One question I have on them, you know, the KV rating on inducted fan motor. Okay. Is it going to be the same as a a prop motor? So many RPM per thousand Uh, RPM per volt or? Yes. The the actual rating of kilovolt is rated the same. Yes. But in general, EDFs have a lot lot higher kilovolt uh, than a prop lane. Okay. Definitely uh, a lot higher. Um. I didn't know if they so, just had a different type of rating system for same system. For those. Just uh, in general, they're they're turning. Oh, man, I've had ducted fans that turn almost thirty thousand RPM. So, uh, say have a one point five kV, you're going to be a three or yeah. four kV. <laughs> yeah, at least. Um, yeah, they, well, they go pretty high on their. Some of them go pretty high on their rating. It just depends on the size of the fan and uh, the type of impeller it's trying to spin. Right. Like what would be the highest? Personally, the highest uh, that I've heard of on a prop airplane was a really small prop plane, and it was turn. It was a twenty five fifty kV. Yep. Um, that was a little three S. It's actually called a super mega jet. Was the name of the motor, but uh, I had one of those turned. Uh, I believe like a six by four prop, something like that. So, what would a, a typical EDF kV rating be? Uh, it ranges greatly depending on the size of the EDF and the you know the fan diameter. And also your power system running it, how many cells you're running it. So it, it varies quite ri- widely. Um, and actually some EDF motors work great with props if you put a smaller prop on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, the E-Flight, uh, the, the ducted fan for their 80 millimeter, the motor for it, if you put a little APC uh, 4.75 by 4.75 prop on that thing, on three cells, it works great. Um for a, for a little pylon racer type model Work, works great. Uh, so it's, it's a wide variety. It just depends. Like I said, there's several factors, but the size of the fan is the biggest factor mm-hmm. as far as your kilovolt. And then you're obviously what you're powering it with, what battery, how many cells. Right. Okay. Um, and I've flown EDFs from 50 millimeters up to 120 is the biggest that I've had. Uh, the little 50 millimeters, you know, they work great on three cells. Two or three cells, um, depend, and you can keep your kilovolt, kilovolt rating uh, where you can run them on a three cell battery and maybe a thirty amp speed control. Twenty five to thirty amp speed control works great. So that a lot of people don't even remember them, but the little EDF fifty fives that GWS used to make, they worked great with a little three cell power system and a twenty five amp speed control. Um, Hymax made a motor for them. Honestly, it's been long enough ago that I, I don't remember the. Uh, the kilovolt rating on that motor, but it worked beautifully with a 25 amp speed control. And the, the B 52 that I had actually had six of them on it. Uh, it was worked great. Uh, now they, that little EDF 55, you can't overpower it. I had an impeller explode 
when I was testing motors. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> and that's an, another thing. Some EDFs you have to be a little bit careful with. Now, the new glass fiber or or uh, even composite, they make some that are completely carbon fiber now and also metal fans. Those are a little bit more forgiving when you start going up in the power system. But those little EDF 55s from GWS, they couldn't handle uh, too much. Too many RPMs, and they yeah. would start having blade separation. Yeah, I had blades all over my living room for a while there. Holy nice. cow. <laughs> I imagine when one of those uh, grenades like that, that it just uh, immediately goes out of balance and starts shaking all kinds of stuff, and oh yeah, it, it goes bad real fast. Here, I got you a sound effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> Followed by the sound of the plastic hitting walls. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's raining. So, um, one of the questions that I, that we mentioned off air uh, that I have is, uh, generally speaking, it seemed like five blade fan units were more common uh, in previous years, and that now generally I hear uh, 11, 12 blade fans. And why is that? And what advantages do each offer? Uh, the higher blade counts typically draw more amps. However, they also give, in general, more higher uh, a, a higher static thrust. Um, they seem to sound better, too. A, a lot of people do like the sound. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely one of the reasons. Um, some people have changed uh, fan blades just for the sound. But uh, the, the static thrust uh, goes up. Your amp draw also tends to go up, though. So basically you can run an 80-millimeter 5-blade and get X number of thrust. And then you could take an 80 millimeter 11 blade or 12 blade and get more out of the same diameter for static thrust. Definitely. Okay. Now as air, air speed increases, that advantage starts to go away a little bit. Okay. Um, and the, the lower number of EDFs have actually in the past, um, recently, I'm not so sure, but in the past they were also, um, associated with a higher speed aircraft because it was turning faster. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it was a lower number, so you get a higher efflux velocity. The plane can keep up, or the, the the motor can keep up with the thrust required for a higher speed. Whereas when you go to more fan blades, obviously it's harder on the motor just turning it. So, what did you say that uh, from the sound of that, being static thrust is increased? Uh, maybe it's got more power out of the hole, more Correct. power taken off, absolutely, uh, more power in the climb, things like that. But overall, top speed may be reduced. Uh, reduced or or not, not more for sure than the, than the lower number of bays. But right. yeah, I got you. Okay. So, but for somebody coming from a prop airplane, they may look for something like that. Like for myself, for instance, uh, that instant power of being able to accelerate quickly from a prop. Um, that's what I always worry about getting into EDFs or jets even is, uh, if I get it a little bit too slow, I can't immediately, pick that airspeed back up just by, you know, blipping the throttle or, or getting back in the throttle. It don't accelerate quite as fast out of the hole is the way I always think of it. You got to maintain your airspeed a little more, basically. Uh, the, an EDF will teach you uh, a little bit about energy management for sure. Um, and yes, that is one of the differences between switching from prop planes to EDFs is the fact that you have to be a little bit further ahead of the throttle curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't want to get too slow because it's going to, take you longer to, to make that time up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it leads into another issue, which is that EDFs are a pretty decent uh, analog for jets. They uh, they help you get used to that throttle lag. Even though a jet normally has more throttle lag than an EDF, it definitely is something that you're going to have to learn. 
and the EDFs are, uh, I've, I've even heard of people changing the, uh, the speed controls on the, some speed controls. You can actually program a little bit of a throttle lag into them or a, As a training a, tool. Yeah. I personally, I did, I never did that, but I can understand where it would be helpful. Um, but most modern turbines, you got maybe two seconds, two and a half seconds for, for throttle lag. So it's not terrible, but yeah, it's, it's something that you need to be aware of. Well, one of the other immediate thoughts is, uh, flying what I primarily do with the 3d airplanes. You got the, you know, usually large props in front. You got all that prop blast going over the tail and yep. even some over the wing. So you can generally get uh, a pretty floaty airplane just off a of prop wash. Yep. You know, because it's it's creating some lift just off of that what's coming across that portion of the wing, and uh, with the low wing loading airplane, you can blip the throttle. You can do a lot of things. You know, generally they got so much power they hangs on the prop at a low power setting, and uh, you know you get yourself in a bind. You get where you need a little bit of power. You, you know, and I can just hit it, and you know I can full throttle out of it, or I can just bump the throttle and and gain control of the airplane again. And it's not like that with jets. You don't have that prop wash. You, yeah. It's got to be moving forward to have control authority, number one. Yep. And uh, number two, it, it takes a little bit to get that airspeed. It's not so quick and instantaneous. Yep. Yeah. So yep. it's. I think that's going to be the overall learning curve for me. You know, Mike has done exceptionally well being a, a primarily a 3D guy jumping straight into a turbine. So uh, I don't know that. Everyone out there could have done that. <laughs> Airspeed is definitely your friend as far as a uh, flight control and positive control. The, the lower you go in airspeed on your EDFs, your controls are going to get slightly more mushy and less responsive. Um, it's it's all a factor of airspeed. So, and you have to remember that. Yeah, yeah. And generally speaking, I'd say you're all working with higher wing loading aircraft as well. Yes. Yeah. You know because jets usually have small wings and tend to be on the heavier side like what's just for a reference what's your uh ultra flash weight uh 32 pounds empty yeah and its wing is like probably a quarter of the wing that i've got on my pilot <laughs> that weighs the same weight you know yeah. so it's just uh, a lot of difference there yep. and, and i mean what about your f-18 jason I want to say it's around 15, 14, 15 pounds. Oh, that's yeah. way lighter than I thought. Yeah. I actually expect it to be closer to Mike's, like upper 20s. Man, and it seems like that thing flies for like 20 or 30 minutes. You got, <laughs> yeah. you got so long a flight time on well, that thing. Well, he's got six and a half gallons of fuel on board. Right? Uh, it's yeah. a 80, 80 ounces of fuel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I know it's it's longer than any jet I've ever seen. Yeah, it's awesome. It's longer than most. It's funny when I'm flying and a lot of jet guys get nervous and ask me if I need to land because I, my timer is set for 12 minutes and, uh, and most jet guys are flying between probably seven and 10 minutes. So, uh, yeah, around that eight, nine, 10 minute mark, they're asking me if I need to land and, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm all right. Yeah. 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 Eight minutes. I better be, uh, you better be on fire. Be planning my approach. You're landing whether you want to or not. Yeah. And I imagine that ultra flash glides about as good as a brick. So I think you keep pointing down pretty good. Yeah. Well, it I, did surprise me. It came in, you know, when you bring it in, you, it comes in a lot slower than, than yeah. what I would imagine. And that airplane be. is known to be really good landing airplane. Yeah. yeah. It looks good, man. It, the, it's, that's going to be another airplane, though. It carries a lot of fuel. Yep. So if you have a flame out or something like that early in the flight, you're going to need to be on top of the game. Yeah, right. You're going to have to compensate for that extra weight. Right. 
and, and not, your F- not just F-18's here. the same way. Yeah, and, and a lot of my fuel is forward of the CG. So uh, actually about two minutes into the flight, I'm nose heavy as it's ever going to be. So that would be the, the worst possible moment. And this dude takes off, barely gets it off the ground, and it's into a dirty roll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the old famous dirty roll. <laughs> yep. It's fun. I love it. I love it. Every bit of it. I like the bifurcated tailpipe myself, the single turbine. It's a... Uh, I know not everybody does, but I like the sound of it. It's very unique. Uh, I guarantee you, if we show up at an event, I don't have to see Jason to know Jason's flying. Yeah, that's a fact. Well, the problem is he's got this 30-minute flight time. So the first six or seven minutes, you're going, man, I love the sound of that thing. And about 20 minutes in, you're going, Jason, God, I really, it's loud. I, I really want to fly, dude. <laughs> I, I can't help it. <laughs> And yeah, in speaking of that, I'm one of those guys that if there's a jet in the air, I'm going to stay on the ground till it comes in just because I don't want, uh, I want them to be able to have full, uh, you know, uh, what's right away. Yeah. Yeah. Full right away. You know, let them have, you know, their, their, their whole mind and thought process on taking care of what they're doing. You know, it doesn't bother me until there's four or five electrics up. Right. Cause you can't hear them. They're everywhere. Yep. And most guys flying them have no. There's no pattern. Path of what they're going to hey, do. Hey, wait, that's me. I'm flying electric. You don't know what I'm going to do. I, hand in the air. Yeah. You'll you'll look, though. There'll be one. You know, you're trying to keep track of this stuff when you're flying, especially if you're going to do a low pass. Right. And you'll know you're clear. You get lined up, and then there's three of them that are right in your flight path that were on the other side of the field on your downwind pass. Yeah. So, well, right. and to be fair, though, I mean – if you fly with other prop planes, usually you think you see a plane like oh, he's way over there. Okay, I got time. I can come in, make a little quick circle right here. Yeah, and then with the ultra flash, uh, he's way over there. It's like holy crap, he's right here. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's covering some territory so fast. Yeah, and truth, that plane is pretty quiet. It really when is. I'm throttled back. Yeah, you know, you're still taking long 150, 60 miles an hour, but there's not a lot of noise from that airplane. Right. Well, no. I noticed when Clay was flying it. You know, he's probably cruising around somewhere around half to a quarter of the throttle somewhere around in there just taking it easy and it's like turn yeah turn turn i mean that and that's that's basically what it was yeah you know? that thing will sneak up on you and for reference the ultra flash has twice the motor as the f-18 but the f-18 is by far louder but the yeah. Ultra Flash is just—it's quiet and it goes fast. Well, right. it's, it's that tailpipe in yours. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. that thing just makes it whistle. And <laughs> well, I remember—I remember asking Mike after he bought that. I was like, "Man, what does that fly like? What's it like coming from 3D and you know 40% airframes? What's it like going to that?" And he's like, "Man, it's like a, an 80s pattern plane that goes 300 miles an hour. You know, <laughs> 200, 200. Well, 199.9. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, 199.9. Sorry. Yeah. The unofficial. Yeah. I, I think he embellished the, a The official bit. is 199. The unofficial is holy shit fast. Right. Well, I, well, I'm sure when he said 300, it was like, this is seven inches. Three, you know what I'm saying? So 300 kilometers an hour. There right, we go. Right. There we okay, go. Okay, yeah. Well, that yeah. particular plane has been clocked at 306 that I know of with radar. Right. And, uh, well, when but, I was, but I would never. Right, n- n- never get up in that. When I was standing on the field trying to do that, which I, we had a very unofficial official <laughs> speed gun, <laughs> right, and, and the and the loose nut behind it, but uh, I mean, we were clocking what one eighty, pretty consistent, you know. That was awesome. <laughs> and then Mike likes to show me a video after that. He goes, "I can't believe you're standing out there doing that. Let me show you when one of these went down." I'm like, "Ah, eh, 
I'm an idiot. I'll do it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny, that video is uh, it's 2007 is when that happened. Right. And that is top hardware. And oh, that, yeah. And that was one of the top pilots in the world flying yeah, the that airplane. the bad all the way around. And that stuff still happens. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Michael's like, I can't believe you're doing that. I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, and that goes back to, you know, we, prim- Mike and I go to a lot of 3d stuff and we'd like to fly 3d, but some of the XA stuff today, it still kind of bugs me when the guys fly the high energy maneuvers at the crowd, you can tell that they're used to flying by themselves. And while I, I appreciate the skill set, it doesn't matter how good you are. You know, a clevis can fail. I mean, our ball joint can fail. A servo can quit. Anything can happen. Yeah. That high energy at the crowd is is really just dangerous. Well, there's a reason they quit that in a full scale yep. air shows. Yeah, because they were killing spectators. Right. And I said not to get into safety concerns, things like that. But you know, things I've, happen. Yeah. I'm, you know, thirty years of doing this, I've you've seen some shit. I've seen some stuff break. Yeah. Yeah. And and it know. never breaks when you expect it to. No, that's you, the other thing. You know, I had a failure not too long ago with a Sukhoi. Yeah. And oh, that one was rough. You know, we had a rough couple of days that that week. Yeah, we we both tore up an airplane. <laughs> I I had a, a well Sunday. I had a rudder servo stick on my Mamba one twenty, and, and it was uneventful. I mean, I, I landed it so uneventful that most people didn't even realize why I killed the engine on the runway. Well, and I was like, well, I couldn't taxi back. My rudder was stuck. Like, oh, we didn't know. Next day. We, uh, hey, don't hurt yourself patting yourself on the back. No, I got <laughs> lucky. Yeah. I got lucky that. Pull a thing. muscle. <laughs> no, it stuck. It bare, It was barely off center stuck. So no, that's I'm, why I'm, it was It was uneventful. I'm just and the crosswind uh, was absolutely perfect right. for the way it was stuck. It, right. it, it really was. Oh, yeah. Absolutely luck in every way. That's uh, called living right. Mike turns around the next day. He has a uh, aileron servo stick in the absolute worst way. Yeah. Uh, it's full deflection. It actually passed my endpoints. Oh, so, so the, the servo, something the servo shorted out, and it pulled as far as it mechanically could <laughs> until it melted down, literally. Wow. It melted. It burnt the leads. It burnt the servo up. It burnt the wood inside the wing where the wires were on fire. Oh, yeah. Geez. Yeah, when we say burn up, not figuratively, it was on fire. <laughs> yeah. And That's- it's... And it, it's yeah. funny, you know, I've had people say, oh, couldn't you just rolling Harrier? Yeah, but the problem is that my other servo, I couldn't stop the roll because it has endpoints set. So it's, I could slow down the roll. Yeah. But you got to remember when you're rolling an airplane with a stuck aileron, at one point you have flaperons in, the next point you have spoilerons in. Yep. So it's full power and full elevator deflections to keep this thing upright. It was for, about 45 seconds of of a rodeo. <laughs> and uh good I, way to describe it i finally got it away from us and I, i'll say our buddy carrie was standing with me at one point it was headed straight towards us rolling and he stood strong with me <laughs> he didn't run that's a good friend because i'd have ran <laughs> yeah. i'd have been out of there i'd have been at least behind you <laughs> yeah. either that or he froze <laughs> i tell you what i'm gonna I'll go s- with froze <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you guys remember the rare bear that e-flight come out with yeah. yeah, the little purple and orange you, one. You remember when everybody was changing those to 6S? Yes. Well, there's a guy in our club that did that, and the elevator clevis broke, and it went into these really high-speed loops. And about one and a half in, 
I was gone. And he was like, <laughs> where'd, you, where'd go? you go? I was like, away from you. <laughs> Under the awning. Yeah. It made about three real high speed loops straight into the ground. And that was the end of the rare bear. Right next to the pilots, probably the safest place to be because he's going to do everything he can to keep from hitting himself. Exactly. So if you run away, away from, from the pilot, you're fair game. If you're standing right next to him, you're probably safe. Well, and that's the way I look at it too. Yeah. In all these years, I've seen three planes stuck in loops. And the best one ever was we're sitting there we're watching this plane loop. You know, just a bunch of guys sitting around BSing. And all of a sudden, this, the owner of the plane is standing next to us BSing. And the plane is still doing loops. And he's like, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> so, uh, well, yeah, it, it came over the pits doing loops over us. And it loses a little bit of altitude every loop. But it cleared the pitch, cleared the parking lot, went in behind us. Oh, wow. That's a interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> flat to watch. I've definitely seen some stuff that, I mean, total loss of control. There's nothing you can do but watch it go to the scene of the crash. You know, I mean, I've seen it. You know, there, there's, what do you do? I guess they were flying Spectrum. I'm not going to call out Spectrum. Wow. <laughs> well, he normally goes there. I mean, that's, that's FR Sky guy. Well, hey. You know of anybody that you fly with, I'm just going to give you a hard time. You know, it doesn't, dude, if you were flying Jetty, I'm going to give you a hard time. If you're flying Fatah, well, if he's flying Jetty, we're all going to give him a hard time. No, yeah. Kirk's a Jetty guy. I'm, I'm just letting you know. Well, I had a little, uh, it's a electric kind of pylon style plane called a quick E KWIK dash E. Um, at the, after a power dive, so it was designed for the old brush motors, like a speed 400. And NICAD batteries. Well, if you update it and put a brushless motor in it and a lipo, the thing's a little rocket. It's a oh, lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, way better um, than it was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I had the the firewall actually pull out of the airplane after a power dive one time, and the 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 motor, the firewall uh, exited the aircraft. Wow. Thankfully, I had a plug between the speed control and the motor, so when the when the motor decided to leave, it unplugged itself from the speed control, and I still had control of the airplane, which was immediately severely tail heavy. Oh yeah, uh, but it popped up uh, in a climb, pushed the nose down a little bit, and I ended up landing in the, in the grass. But yeah, the, the firewall just decided it gave up. Um, it, there's not much you can do about that. Yeah, my nope. buddy Lance built some planes that uh, we were using 2,500 kV quad motors three inch props and we were we took like little 300 three cell batteries to make a six cell battery you know said so they would fit in these small little planes and they were absolutely nuts i can't believe that they didn't have any failures well if he ever goes to sell that one that he brings out of yeah country, yeah you know <laughs> exactly mine. which one hey i've got one that i will give you that he built for me that i'm too afraid to fly you have one sir now, i've got you one right now trade the brown bomber for whatever that thing is it's not even a trade me and me and mike have swapped things back and forth enough he, he he's due a freebie yeah. well you know i'm kind of concerned about our buddy kirk over here though what you know me and jason were talking about this the other day about jet guys how they think they're too good for everybody else you know i'm I'm still flying spectrum with my stuff so I, I'm, I'm bottom feeder anyway <laughs> so, I guess that makes two of us then. That's right. Well, hey, so, you're, we're all in good company, I guess. At, at least we got Clay converted. He's flying Futaba. So. <laughs> oh, I'm still flying Spectrum, too. So me and Jason, we're the good old boys of the club. You know, we'll talk to anybody, have fun. We don't care. But now you've bought a jetty. And you've a got jet. your first turbine. And a jet. 
before long, you're going to be parked at the far north end of the field. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's going to have to start a whole new parking lot. That's right. Yeah. Man, he invited me over to the house tonight. I don't think I'm dressed appropriate. I'm just saying. <laughs> we don't have a tie on. So yeah, yeah, I know, I know. These, yeah. these jetty oh, guys. Oh, bougie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My pinky's in the air. You Does can be bougie. Count? I'm still ratchet. Yeah. <laughs> What are you guys talking about bottom of the barrel? I'm FR Sky over here. You guys such a hard time about that. You're one of those guys. That's how we Man. refer to that. Yeah, that's, hey, a, that's your, your FR Sky has way more words than my Spectrum does. Man, here's the thing with it. I haven't had any problems, and I can make it do anything I want to do. I'm happy with it. You know, well, I don't see any reason to make a change. Now, there's a lot of cooler stuff out there, absolutely, but none of it's in my price range, you know? And I, I, fact is, it works. Yep. That, that's that's it, man. I go out and have a good time with it. And I think at the end of the day, that's what matters. Dude, I've got four-figure radio, and it, all it can say is, timer expired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mine said all kinds of stuff today. <laughs> yeah. It talks sexy. Yeah, I got I got kind of bored <laughs> and started to play with that a little bit. Clay's got the neat stuff, but he's got to wear one of those big <laughs> aluminum trays to be able to carry that monstrosity. Right. Hey, I use a lanyard. Easy. easy. <laughs> neck strap. I do use a neck strap. I've, I just, it's what's comfortable for me. Which, hey, yeah, that kind of, you know, that kind of made me think of something. If we were to make a, like an RC scrap pile nuts and bolts sound pack, would anybody run that on the radio? I would. Let us know. Leave us a message. Email us. Let us know. I'll make one if, if, if we get enough interest in it Every time i got you nothing. turn on your radio it goes welcome back yeah i, I was i'm <laughs> still trying to figure out i'm I'm probably going to do that to mine I, I, there definitely needs to be one that says i got nothing i got nothing and yeah. then when the failure happens you got to try to remember to hit it yeah yeah <laughs> no just set that as your signal lost yeah he goes i got nothing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you can set it like on i know on tyrannus and stuff like that it'll give you like rssi like if it gets low or rssi something like that, low you can just set it to that tone <laughs> Yeah. My jetty will say signal lost, signal lost. Right. Yeah, Spectrum, like the IX series, and I know on the IX series you can do that. I'm not sure on the the DX we probably could too. We might figure something out. But Purse me the guy that's going to be Bluetooth and do his, his plane to turn it on and off from the transmitter. <laughs> yeah. Power on. Jetty actually makes a switch I know where they you do. power it off and on from the radio. I know they do. That, that's, that's, that's why he's getting you. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, rest of us have to go buy this AR stuff from Australia <laughs> so we can push a button and, and turn our planes on. Oh, yeah. Beep, beep. beep. That's right. <laughs> I love oh, it. man. And, man, all of this started, really. I poured. So we were hanging out at my house, and I've got a pond behind the house, and we had I've got a little, man, it's a Hobby King Tundra, you know, float plane, and we walked off down to the pond like a bunch of little kids, man, with a couple of cases of beer and a plane. And I don't condone this, so I'm just saying that. But uh, so I go, <clears throat> we fly, dude, probably 10 to 15 packs. Everybody takes a turn. Everybody's having a good time. We're more than a few beers in. So I'm holding a beer in my arm, and I reach down to pick up my transmitter, and it, this whole beer just dumps into my transmitter. And this thing has been sitting on my workbench for what, two years Maybe now? two years. Yeah. yeah. I, I ended up buying another radio. Right. Because I was like, well, that one had beer in it, so let's check. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's, I got it's drunk. I got bored this week and I decided to man, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna take this thing apart, I'm gonna clean everything up. Man, it's it's back to a hundred percent. No problem. No more sticky gimbals, no more sticky trims. It's a brand new radio. I can actually hit buttons and it does the stuff in the menu. It's crazy, <laughs> man. Yeah. And then uh, I decided, well, I already did that. Let's let's factory reset it and update it. So I updated it and 
Now I've got the amber sound pack on there and nice little sexy voice talking to me. It's good. Make it say all kinds of stuff. It's fun. Amber. Yeah. That's what it's called. It's called the amber sound pack. I believe you. It's still funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm looking for a really hot British chick kind of, kind of voice to put on there. That's what I'm really looking for. Well, if I have to hire a British chick to come in here in the studio and make me voices, I'm, 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 I'm I'm in on that. I think we need Arnold Schwarzenegger. Get to the chopper! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back to the EDFs, there's been something that's come out that's pretty neat. There was kind of an issue today with it, though, was the uh, auto launch systems on some of these hand toss EDFs. Man, I saw that today. And it, man, it, it, it the launch good. itself works really good. Now, the, the fly after wasn't, or the turn after wasn't really What weird. happened with that? We don't know. We don't know. It went yeah. from flight to ground. Yeah, <laughs> about that quick. I really wonder if he didn't have a – he's running a single satellite with the little uh, satellite wires. kind of wonder if maybe that wire didn't have a failure because that is a somewhat of a known failure point is the little bitty plugs that are on the satellites. Uh, that's it, why Flex it, doesn't recommend that you use uh, satellite-only connections on like 60-size aircraft and bigger. Are you, know, you saying it was a spectrum problem? It's the wire that they're using. It's not the signal. Yeah, it's a spectrum problem. That's a spectrum yeah. problem. Yeah. I mean, technically, <laughs> yes, but it's because of the wire. But it's what, the what receiver it w- was that? It was a satellite. Or not receiver. What flight system? Oh, it was the FT Aura 5 Lite. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's the only one that offers the launch assist. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if, the, if it was Aura AS3X. I couldn't remember. Did that plane come with that? No. No, he added that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So See, after the failed, you the know, doc's he, not a not a not a flex or a fan after this. Is that? No, no he, I don't think that was. I don't think that's no, what yeah. you're saying. He told me he really liked it the first time he tried it. Oh yeah, it worked great, dude. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm an aura fan. I love him. Yeah. I tell you that flying football football of yours would be great with that system. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got rid of the flying football. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> that's the only plane I've ever seen to hit the ground at 120 full bounce. Oh. And keep flying. Yeah, didn't Recover. Break, didn't break the prop, man. That, the prop <laughs> break saved me. It hit so hard. It pancaked it. That it broke the aileron hinges from, was it the aileron hinges separated that broke on it? Them. Yeah, yeah, it separated the aileron hinges. Dude, I mean, like, it's got like a foam insert in the belly. All of that came loose. I mean, like, everything was loose inside the plane. I kept flying it. It's and a nerve know, ball with and wings. And didn't know until I landed it. It's a, it's a Strix Goblin is what it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this thing is like, if you remember as a kid, the, the footballs. It's a nerve. It's a hard plastic. And they're mm-hmm. like heavy balls that we had as kids. Oh, yeah, That, that yeah, you couldn't tear right. up. And this thing is like one of those with wings on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Casey wow. came flying by about a full tilt, and he never flared. It, he was in a dive trying to get speed. He forgot the ground was there, I guess. Man, <laughs> it skipped. It Honestly, did. Honestly, I wish that was the case. But what happens is is when you gave that plane full throttle because it did have the foam ailerons and everything on it, it had a tendency to nose down. <laughs> so that, I was trying to do a high-speed flyby, and it nosed down right into the runway. But it was <laughs> it was one of those flights that nobody will ever forget. It was awesome. Because <laughs> it hit, and you're like, that dude's done. <laughs> And it kept going. No, it's just a high-speed touching game. Man, I flew yeah. for another couple of minutes that we bring it in and everything's loose inside. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> it's like rattling around inside oh, yeah. the fuselage. It definitely was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My buddy Phil ended up with that. Have fun, Phil. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So, well, the 
the plane you're talking about, the, you know, Doc's got the, what was that, a Stinger? EDF Stinger, something like that? Scorpion. Scorpion, yeah. Anyway, he put the Aura 5 light in it. That's his second one. He had that little uh, F-86 yep. that didn't have anything in it, and someone threw it, and it didn't end well. And <laughs> so I, I suggested to him, I said, hey. Was you that Limp Wrist Larry? No, it was before that. Oh, okay. Um, that was the second time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so the first time, um, anyway, I said, hey, you ought to try out the, the FTOR 5 Lite. It's got launch assist. I was like, I think it'd be great on this airplane. I'm actually running one in my Lane's Planes CUDA because it's it's a little bit of a handful to launch, for me at least. And uh, so I like the hands-off ability with the launch assist on the OR-5. And uh, anyway, so he ordered one. He got it put in the F-86, and it worked out pretty good. And uh, then Larry threw it the second time, and <laughs> I don't know what he did. He, like, spiraled it like a football or something because <laughs> the launch assist couldn't help him on that. And uh, – I mean, the launch assist helps, but it doesn't. It's you still got to throw it right. You know, you can't just completely fumble it. Uh, but anyway, so Doc ended up. I think that wiped the F eighty six out for good, and uh, now he's got that Scorpion, and it the launch assist worked great. But I don't know. I mean, what he actually happened. laid the transmitter on the ground. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. the transmitter. Yeah, I tossed like, that it. part was great. And he didn't just jump down to get it either. No, he tossed was, it. And we all. Watch it start we cruising all just out. It climb out. Yeah. <laughs> he steps over there, picks his radio up. It's it's, it's yeah. pretty neat technology. That's yeah. super yeah. neat, especially for the hand launch type stuff. Right. It, it's a game changer. Oh yeah, that sure. and its price point at fifty bucks. I mean, that's not bad at all. And yeah. it's so small and lightweight that you know you can put it in a lot of things that don't have a lot of space. Like that little scorpion did not have a lot of excess space in it. Absolutely no. So. Well, man, I helped our buddy Phil. I set one of those up. He built like one of the uh, FT like bush planes. I think it's a bushwhacker or something like that. It's all foam. Yeah, <clears throat> I helped him set one up in though in one of those this week, and then also, uh, man, what was that, dude? It's it's like one of those land sea airplanes. I can't remember what it is, dude. It, there's like a Facebook deal on it. It's a gimmick. Guy stomps on it and sends it out and all kinds of stuff. Oh it's, yeah, it's I know a, what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's it's a kind of a weird looking little plane. And uh, we set one up in that. They man, used to make one like that called a Polaris. Yeah. Man, both of them flew fantastic. And, I mean, he's uh, it's not something he's used to running as, as a gyro or anything like that. And he goes, man, that's 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 it. Dude, it made that little, like, that FT bushwhacker or whatever. I flew it. Dude, it flew excellent. Yeah. And, it, and it's freaking foam board. And it was a 10-mile-an-hour wind day, and you couldn't tell. So, you know? if you don't know, the F, FT Aura light is a... Uh, and I call it the FT Aura Five. It's it's a five port Aura basically, but it was designed in conjunction with Flight Test. Yeah. That's where the FT come from. Oh yeah, and that's what it was geared towards. Originally was you know for people that are learning to fly, they feel like you know Flight Test does do a lot of stuff to get people into the hobby, and uh, they got a lot of entry level style airplanes. Well, if you live where we live, you really can't fly those ex- a lot of days. Right. Too windy. They're too light. You know, up there where they're at, I'm not sure what the weather's like, but maybe they work a little better. But uh, well, our average day is 10 to 15 miles an hour. Right. And so you throw that in there, and it just smooths it out, makes it a little bit easier. You know. And then with the launch assist, uh, you know, it's just you. You got the discus launch planes. You've got uh, hand launch EDS, hand launch prop planes, things like that. It, it just helps it out where you don't have to rely on someone else to hand launch your airplane for you or you know, like when I started hand launch airplanes, you, you launched it as you chunked it about as hard as you could, 
and then quickly get on the transmitter to try to steer it. So, you know, this makes it a little bit easier. Um, I've had excellent luck in my planes playing Scooter with it. It helps it a lot. Well, man, I will go as far to say is I was kind of anti-gyro. You know, I mean, I really was because, like, I, I flew with a bunch of older guys, and they're like, you don't need that, you don't need that, you don't need that. And I hate to sound like a fanboy, but ever since I got a hold of one of those auras and had it set up right, I want one and everything. And yeah. I, that may be a crutch. I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but man, it, it gives me confidence and it feels good, and I like it. And that, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. Yeah, I was the same way. You know, I'm, <clears throat> I definitely like in the small airplanes. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and that's probably one of the best. You know, descriptions that you can give, it makes a small airplane fly like a right. plane. I've been at the hands of a couple of big airplanes, not a whole lot. You know, it's just stuff that friends let me fly or actually made me fly, you know, <laughs> because I'm like, I ain't flying that, you know, but they they do have a different feel and everything to them. And I started putting that in some of my smaller, dude, it's, it's night and day difference. Right. It's like, uh, I spent 10 minutes programming it on a computer to fly something that feels like a perfectly trimmed airplane. You know, I mean, that's that's the yeah, best way I could. You put even it. uh, you even tricked a hardcore anti-gyro guy. I've it. tricked multiple anti-hardcore <laughs> gyro guys. Yeah, and they're like, "This is no, excellent. You're this setting week. up all my planes." Oh yeah, yeah, this week. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it happened this week. Yeah, yeah, that was good stuff. Which there was with a, one with hard, a forty dollar airplane with a forty dollar <laughs> airplane at that. He was ready to buy it because you want to sell this. This is the best <laughs> flying airplane I've ever felt in my whole entire life. You want to sell this? Man, I think no, a tan turd needs a or I, I, put in. Man, it. why not? Just, I, just I, think, see, I think everything needs it. The one oh, we just... Oh, the brown bomber, yeah. 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 What do you call it, tan turd? Yeah. Oh, that's a good name, too. <laughs> Man, it's... <laughs> I got a sticker maker Denver. at home. We can make this happen. And just for everybody's information, it's a beat-up or out four-star 40. But it's tan and brown. Yes. With an Evo Evo 40 on the front of it or something, uh, something like that? Something like yeah. that. And a checkered tail. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I've got an OS 46 at home with a pipe if we want just well, see, I, pull the wings off that yeah, thing. That's what yeah. here's what happened i Get bought an os 53. 46 or 55 i can't remember and the plane came with it oh that's yeah. how One bad the previous owner wanted it too <laughs> right yeah so it's been in my trailer and i just don't want it to fly off the shelf and uh hit a good airplane <laughs> right so, so it needs to leave it's funny you say that though but me and kirk I'll, have another plane partnership a, a <laughs> yeah. whole a whole again, lot of uh Swap meet finds. Uh, Gerald Elam and I, we actually had a joke about this. Half price for the engine, and you get the plane for free. And yeah. that's generally, like, that's how I see prices on airplanes at swap meets. Whatever the engine costs, half, and then you get the rest of it included. The the GB I was telling you guys about earlier, that Seagull GB with the DLE 20, I just sold it for less than the, the 20, the DLE 20 cost by itself. Yep. Yeah. I just need more room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, don't hang out with Jason. He'll send you home with planes, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, you know, we kind of segued pretty far off the EDFs and, and what have you. But I, I do want to circle back to that because I got some more questions about oh, absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I've wondered, uh, going from, like, some of my 60-inch electric prop planes, they tend to fly about four minutes with, you know, a 3,500 milliamp 6S pack. Four minutes is not unobtainable. If I milked it out, I probably could get even six minutes out of it if I really wanted to. My Avanti gets about three. <laughs> and, and that's where I was going, is why, typically, why do jets seem to get so much less flight time for the same battery pack with a similar amp ESC and so on? In general, I just believe it's the inefficiency of the 
the fan itself. In in terms of moving air, which is what we're we're doing here, taking a small amount of air and accelerating it to a high speed is not efficient. It works and it's good for high speed flight, but as far as efficiency and in particular in this case amp draw on your batteries, it's just not efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just uses more battery power. And, and thus the shorter flight times. I mean, I've I had a uh, 120 millimeter Dynamax converted to electric. I've actually had two, and, and that was a old uh, glow engine fan, wasn't it? Yes, the 120 okay. millimeter Dynamax. Yeah, it used to work with I believe a OS 91 was the, one of the most popular engines they put in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the the one of the motors that I had in it was a three and a half minute flight. That was it with with two six cell 5,000 milliamp packs running series. Talk about a lot of heat on those batteries too. Oh yeah. It's hard on batteries. I was changing batteries every season because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's hard on them. And that was with a, a uh, castle creations Phoenix One Sixty for the speed control. It's oh, a big, that's a big ESC, but that's right. a 120 millimeter fan too. So yeah, I, it might've been a 120 ESC might've been 120, but the plane was pulling about 114 amps. So oh, wow. just below the capacity of the speed control at full throttle. Yeah, it's pulling about 114 amps. Now, it would push the, the plane I had it in, which is actually the, the same F-18 that I'm flying with the turbine now. Oh, yeah, back when it was EDF. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the motor was from Scorpion. At the time, they actually made a Scorpion Motors made a conversion kit for that Dynamax fan with an outrunner motor. Yeah. It, I, it, you it and I have talked about this before. Now, yeah. now I'm, I'm recalling it as you're yeah. saying it, yeah. It worked great. The motor worked great. It fit in the fan. Everything was a bolt-together fit. But that thing is hard on batteries. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, like I said, it pushed the plane great. The, the F-18 flew great. It's just those three-and-a-half-minute flight times were, just weren't cutting it. Yeah. Well, so, I've actually got that F-16, that E-Flight 70-millimeter. Mm-hmm. I'm running the same battery packs that I run in a 60-inch uh, Skywing Slick. Yeah, that's the Gen's Ace 3300s in it. Right, and they're interchangeable batteries. You know, I run yeah. the same pack. So the uh, the slick, flying it pretty hard, I get four and a half to five minutes. And the F-16, if I'm flying it hard, I get uh, two and a half minutes. Yep. And, yeah. the, and the batteries are hot when you pull them out there. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's on a 70 millimeter at that, yep. you know, so I could imagine it would be an even worse the bigger you get. ED, ED, in general, EDFs are amp hogs. They are hard on batteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, yeah, they're a lot of fun, uh, but they are hard on batteries. You got to have good batteries for them. Which that's that's another good point. The C rating on your batteries, EDFs are one of the one of the areas in this hobby where that is most important. If you ask me, uh, good batteries with a good C rating. Um, Thirty C batteries aren't always going to cut it. Uh, I see. When you start going to bigger EDFs and drawing more power, uh, it, it make it makes you blame the EDF system. For, for not giving as much power as you need, but in, in general, or in reality, your batteries just can't supply it. Well, I've I've experienced this with batteries on uh, at a Blade 450 a while back. It's been several years ago, actually. And uh, the batteries had degraded over time, and it degraded slow enough that I, I didn't realize the power difference. So one day I'm flying that Blade 450, and I was like, man, this thing is just a pig. And uh, so I bought some new batteries, and then it it woke up again. And it started flying much better after that. And what it was, those batteries had just degraded to the point I bought, you know, new batteries. That's the only thing different. They were the yeah. same size. They were the same C rating, all that kind of stuff. Just new. Yeah. And then it 
it went from like holy cow and barely flying it to flying it pretty well about as well as a, a blade 450 would fly yeah uh, you know they were kind of <laughs> a big anemic. to they start were, with they were anemic yet yeah, anyway so um but and, anyway yeah that's uh well i've noticed that too with like <clears throat> i've got a couple of 60 inch airframes fly 5000 success and uh when i did that i got a hold of a flex jet you know i'm like well, i already got the batteries now it's not so much of a barrier to entry you know and it flew fantastic but i've got a handful of flights on it because it's you know three and a half four minutes you know done and over pretty quick right and i mean that's that's kind of milking it too it's not flying it at full throttle you know i mean i'm sure it gets better flight time than that but it's it's one of those things like i better bring this down i don't know how much i got you know or 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 whatever because it's it is it's over real fast yeah you better get on the ground too you don't have an extra go around (laughs) if you're flying them hard right and it's, you know, I was flying that Inspire 60 that I just put together, you know, not too long ago today. And how long, I mean, I don't even have a timer. I probably flew that thing for eight or nine minutes on the same path. Yeah, it was, it was long enough. I was like, holy cow, man, how long are you going to go? Yeah. And then we pulled the battery off and I'm at storage voltage right, right where I want to be. Yeah, right you know, at 3. 3.8. Yeah, 3.8 a cell. That's yeah. another good point too on the EDFs as far as your flight time. Yes, the flight times are going to be shorter, but you don't want to push it because that damages your batteries. Like we're like we're talking about, they they pull a lot of amps. So if you pull your batteries down below engine, uh, what three volts a cell? If you do that regularly, then you're just going to shorten the life of your batteries. If mm-hmm. if you do have to make a go around, it's going to cost you a battery pack. Sometimes if you push it too far, not immediately. I mean, the the battery won't probably won't be a brick immediately after you you overcharge it but or burrito if you do yeah. you need <laughs> but you're definitely shortening the life of the pack every time you do that and Absolutely. if you do you need to get that voltage back up yeah. as quick as possible yeah yeah and like i i messed up with the skywing on one of my packs and was flying it quick change battery pack pulled it out set it next to the other one someone came and talked to me grab the wrong one pick the one put it right back in the airplane yep. flew got lucky timer went off again i landed and i couldn't even taxi in it when the low voltage cut off of course i check it i'm at zero percent and uh so first thing i do is haul butt to the charger and start get, get a little bit in it yeah start putting yeah, power yeah. back in it so in general where for you personally and or and i would say maybe most people uh would you say this is a big enough jet that i don't want to edf it i want to make it a turbine Especially considering, you know, that King Tech now offers the K30s, the K45s. I believe you bought a K85 recently. Yeah. Um, where would you say, like, 80 millimeters, kind of the up end for EDF, and then above that you're going to go turbine, or what do you think? Or, I, do, or do you have a cutoff? I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, in, in the past, the reason I made the decision was basically generally just on flight time, period. Um, however... So that's what the that was with the yellow aircraft uh, F eighteen. So the, the the maximum weight of that airplane with the internal combustion, which is what it was designed for, an internal combustion uh, ducted fan, mm-hmm. was around thirteen pounds. I want to say thirteen fourteen pounds. Um, when you start getting into planes heavier than eighteen to twenty pounds, the the higher capacity ducted fans uh, EDFs get real expensive for airplanes in that weight category. Uh, if you're looking for high performance, uh, they start getting more expensive almost exponentially uh, at that point. So it's size-wise, yeah, if your plane's yeah. over 
20 to 25 pounds, I start looking at turbines. That's me personally. I'd start looking at turbines. Yeah. And that's funny because that's almost identical to prop planes. You know, you can fly the 60 inch stuff all day cheap, but you start stepping to 50 cc size planes, 100 cc size. Our systems get expensive yeah, fast. The price yeah. goes up quick. And the the cost of electric power systems versus gas really starts getting six one half dozen in the other. Yeah. Then you're back and to the flat starts, time thing. And then it even yep. starts favoring gasoline at, at a point too. Like you get to the 120 cc stuff, you can buy some some engines sometimes cheaper than you can do an electric motor setup. Yep. And, you know, you can fly it indefinitely, nearly, you know. Um, you get easily double the flight time if you choose to. Yep. And then the other thing is you land it, you put gas in it, and you go again. Yep. You're not waiting around for that recharge. That's a, that's a whole other issue. When, you're, when your batteries only last three and a half, four minutes, uh, you have to have a good charger. Oh, yeah. Um, in the past, I did not. So it was taking me 45 minutes to an hour to charge after every flight. That's an that's another incentive to go to a turbine, right? Um, it's it's it, it all starts to add up. So yeah, it's kind of that where the cost starts muddying. Yeah, going one way or the other. Yeah. Now, as far as field equipment goes, though, it's total different field equipment. I mean, we talked about this earlier when Mike was packing up his Ultra Flash. You know, he's got a now a diesel jug, fire extinguisher, um, the the heat sucker or whatever he calls that thing. The the, the thing he puts on the tailpipe to pull the air through the through the turbine, you know, I think just a to heat cook. sucker. That's a pretty good. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, Sucks a lot. Four thousand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really does suck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, but with that, you know, he can use a pretty basic charger, charge up the flight packs, and go. Yeah. And uh, where if he was flying EDFs, you know, now you're looking at generator, charge case, batteries, just a total different type of field equipment, and. Uh, we were what we were actually talking about at the field was imagine having both yeah. and you sometimes that is the case for you you've I've got the electrics yeah. and the turbine out at the same day and yeah. like you got a lot of field equipment that goes along with that yeah too much if you ask me yeah yeah uh, it definitely takes some planning ahead forethought bringing all that stuff out yeah and that hill between the parking lot and the <laughs> and the canopy gets a little steep after about 26 <laughs> climbs <laughs> up it yeah yeah. Back and forth. Yeah. yeah, get you a little red light and haul it all in. <laughs> well, and, and that kind of brings me to what I think you were leading up to. Uh, last episode, we talked about charge cases. And then since the last episode, you've made pretty good investment into your EDF setup with the uh, the new charge case. I think you ordered what, four of the ISDT P10s. Correct. And uh, you're going to build your own big case and. And uh, yep. that's actually geared towards one specific EDF plane that I think a lot of us are <laughs> extremely excited about. And I, I think you can't we, get that thing done soon enough. I know. Hey, yeah. Yeah. I well, hate to be that guy, but <laughs> hey, are you done yet? The, the thing is, is yet? we can't have an episode about charge cases and then follow that up with EDFs and not talk about this airplane. Right. Which, you know, we've been pushed to maybe do some YouTube video and stuff like that on a, on a, on another episode. Yeah. Thanks pilot Ryan. Yeah. Thank Terry you. Wiles. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. But, uh, that's one that it's going to get some video. Like, oh. I'm, I'm, I, I will full production that plane oh. when you get it done. I'm so, just, I will say that. So check this out. I, I didn't even think about this, Jason. I, I don't think I got a picture. I may have did. I saw an X 15 last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I actually saw a real X 15. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was at the Pima Museum when Mike and I went, and uh, I was thinking about you at that time because I believe you've talked about that potentially being uh, 
uh, a mothership to uh, something else? I have a group message that actually said, who's flying it? I will volunteer. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, me oh, too. There's, there's plenty of volunteers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, talk about letting the cat out of the bag. <laughs> uh, oh, we, we oh, weren't yeah. supposed to say anything about that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I forgot, Clay. Gosh dang it. I didn't know I wasn't supposed Jeez, to say anything about how that. How are you going to, man, edit, edit right here. Edit. Reindeer, reindeer. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> back. Uh, it's, not a, yeah, it's not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> oh, I really didn't think I was, uh, I didn't know that nah, that was. Nah, nah, nah. I'll totally so edit the, that out if you want me to. No, nah, man. So the the B fifty two is based on the or the what I'm actually modeling is NASA's mothership, um, in particular Balls eight because technically they had two, but Balls eight is the one that I'm modeling, which was a B fifty two B model. Um, it's the one that they they used for the majority of the X fifteen uh, flights, and it's 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 iconic for several reasons, but it also had the, the uh, a wedge cut out of the flap on the right wing, the inboard flap. To clear the tail of the X-15 when it was mounted on the B-52, that is the the plane I'm modeling. Uh, and at eventually, I would like to be able to drop uh, an X-15. I can have somebody else fly it back down. And I've got. I feel like Chuck Yeager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wrong plane. Yeah, it'd be more like Scott Crossfield. Something yeah. like that. Is that the wrong yeah. plane? Wrong yeah. plane. One oh, thing okay. I asked though, we have to put a rocket motor in that X-15. Okay, so I, the the cart kind of got before the horse in that. In that aspect, but I already have the X-15 worked out. Sweet. <laughs> I've just got to finish the mothership. Estes rocket igniter <laughs> on a switch. It's going down. Uh, there's a there's a nice gentleman up north in uh, New England that makes uh, rockets. Matter of fact, if I can find his website, I'll uh, I'll mention the name of it. But uh, he builds uh, remote control rocket kits, basically. So they're two channel. Most of them are Elevons, but and he, he makes them set up for it. Now he's launching them off of a, a rod, like a traditional Estes model or something. Mm-hmm. But you fly them back down. Yeah, nice. Well, I remember when I was in middle school, there was actually an SR seventy one that you could buy, like Hobby Lobby, mm-hmm. and it was a two channel SR seventy one. Yeah, look. rocket plane oh, launched wow. straight up yep. off the wire, and just like a regular Estes rocket. Yeah, yep, straight up like a D seven. Damn right. All right. Yeah, it outdo a D seven. Yeah, <laughs> goes a little faster. Yeah, yeah. Dinosaur Rocketry is the name of the company, by the way. Okay. Which, if Jason remembers to send me a message, I will make sure and get that in the show notes. Will do. So, sorry, I let the cat out of the bag about the whole story. I didn't <laughs> Man, realize that was. Up. I didn't realize you were doing it either, and I was joining in. I'll take partial blame. It's <laughs> quite all right. I didn't know that it wasn't something we could talk about. But all right, reindeer. Still, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm sorry. It, I'm, well, the B-52 it has always it. been my favorite uh, SAC bomber. I mean that by what Strategic Air Command. So that's always been my favorite one out of the whole bomber inventory that the U.S. has ever had. And, and that part of that is from going to air shows as a kid at Barksdale Air Force Base, which is home of the B-52. Absolutely. You know, I believe you were even stationed there I at one point. I spent six years of my life going there almost every day. So, <laughs> you know, it's just something I'm super excited to see. And uh, and with that, you've done a, a little bit of, I say that you've done a lot of really cool stuff with it. Uh, one of them being the motor pods, 3D printed for the uh, – is it 80 millimeter EDFs that are going in that? It's a 80 millimeter E flight EDF. They bolt into the into the motor pods that are 3D printed, and they kind of the the pods kind of clamshell around the motors once they're installed. 
Um, yeah, there's this. Yeah, it's, it's just so we all know how many of those are going to be in this plane. Eight 80 millimeter EDFs. Yeah, and eight. you know, Jason's not real good about patting himself on the back, but he's actually designed <laughs> this stuff to where it's all serviceable. It comes apart. You can get to everything. Every I mean, it's fully I engineered. Yeah, so, I, it I was, was impressed when, slightly, when he showed this to me. When was it? It was last summer. He shows up out there at Collective for the uh, Stole Drag event. Just come out and spectate, and brought that that motor pod, the, pod, the EDF pod. And, yeah, you know, having known how little the motor pods look in relation to the rest of the airplane. He brings a motor pod out there and by the shape of That's, it, I immediately know what it is. And I'm like <laughs> the size of a two liter Coke bottle or bigger. Yeah. Half oh, of it. Yeah. Well, half yeah. Of it. yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. What, that's what I mean. Each side, yeah. each side is the size of a two liter Coke bottle, but he's got this motor pod that he's 3d printed and I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, dude, I heard you were building a B 52, but that is a massive B 52. Like, Holy cow! Like that motor pod is just huge. It's unreal to me. So I'm. That's why I'm super excited about it. Sometimes it's unreal to me too. <laughs> when I'm trying to put this thing together in the living room. <laughs> what span is this plane? Uh, it's 174 inches. Sweet. So I actually had an Air Force guy tell me last night that that would make it one twelfth scale. Uh, yes, it's it's twelve point something. I've yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. saying the wingspan on it was 174, 170 some odd feet. On the on the uh, full scale airplane, all I'm gonna say is, fellas, we're in the presence of greatness. Absolutely, yeah. I think we're gonna have to cover an episode of uh, scratch building, uh, foam wire cutting, or what do you call it, hot wire cutting? Hot wire. Uh, you know, if I can get some help with some post production, we can definitely oh. make this video. Twelve point seven five. I haven't saved in the calculator on my phone. It's easy when I'm taking measurements. <laughs> yeah, helps a lot, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it's just to me, it's unreal. But uh, what kind of time frame are you thinking on it? Um, I'm hoping to test fly it either late this year or early next year. Perfect. Yeah, it's a lot of work to scratch build something, design it, scratch build it, 3D print. It's so this airplane is big. This is the biggest airplane I've ever built. Um, from a kit, scratch, whatever, the biggest airplane I've ever built. It has taken, um, and it's the reason I bought a 3d printer in the first place was, uh, was for this airplane. It took me a, a year to design those engine pods you guys saw. Oh, wow. It, it took me literally a year just designing them, test printing to get, to get it to, uh, to get consistent results and to get the fit I want around the EDFs. Well, and make them where they split for servicing the fans, yeah. and yeah, it's it's literally you take four uh, quarter twenty screws out, and you can take the whole thing apart, right? And, and take the fans out for changing motors, whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's taking a lot of time, and then the actual building. So I'm really excited now because the wings are built and sheeted. They're at the point where I could go home and fiberglass the wings right now. I still got to fiberglass them, but they are built and sheeted, which is. It was really exciting to me just getting to that point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What kind of states of fuselage? Fuselage is cut out. The foam pieces are all cut out, except for the nose. I, I haven't cut it out yet, um, and they're ready to be sheeted. Um, part of the reason I'm waiting on those is because of the landing gear. I want to order the landing gear and fit it before I sheet the, the fuselage, just in case I have to make any adjustments. So, speaking of that, you know, the, the B-52 has it. Very unique landing gear system, yes. to say the least. Uh, 
Where did you find landing gear like that? I was thinking that you might have to machine it yourself. I was, I'm thinking like next it'll be a mill and a lathe in this shop, you know, instead of he's got the 3D printer and he's going to have to do something else for the gear. So I, I could go that way. You're absolutely right. And, and make expensive. Yeah. Uh, and not to mention time consuming. Yeah. And this plane's taken up plenty of time already. I guarantee you. So I kind of came up with a compromise that will look it look enough. it'll look good, yeah. Um, electron retracts. Uh, I used them on the F eighteen for the first time, mm-hmm. and I loved them. I tried E flight retracts on the F eighteen for electric retracts, and they were pretty finicky. I I did not get good results with the uh, E flight retracts on the F eighteen. I believe it. I didn't have um, good results with Mike's F sixteen on retracts the last time I tried to fly it. Well, I I switched over to the electrons, and I have literally not had a problem since. So I contacted Electron, uh, my email, uh, several months ago when I was holed up in a, uh, a hotel in New Zealand. Actually, I had plenty of time to send emails. Oh, yeah. So I, I talked to Electron a little bit. I and, remember uh, those pictures you sent. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they're, they're helping me with the system. It's, it's really, like you said, it's a unique landing gear for an airplane. Absolutely. So their system is designed for three retracks, a main gear and a nose, or main gear and a tail wheel for like warbirds, things mm-hmm. like that. But essentially it's designed for three retracks. I'm going to have to modify. I shouldn't say modify. I just use it. Um, like two a, mains in an unorthodox manner. Yes. B 52 has got four main landing gear essentially yeah. uh, under the fuselage. And then you have two tip gear, one on each wing tip. So basically I have to use two of their systems and then two different size retracks also for three landing gear. Three landing gear, basically on each side of the airplane. Two main gear and then one tip gear. I see. Um, but I've talked to them about it. They did some research to make sure that it would work. And uh, that's, that's that's what I'm going with. It's now. really cool that they're working with you on that. What Absolutely. about a what about a steering mechanism? Steering's easy on on their retracts. The one I want. That's one of the reasons I went with them. Also, is that the nose gear steering can be built into the retract. Into the main gear. Yes, they okay. actually have what they call electron steering, which has a uh, a bell crank mounted on the on the uh, frame of the retract itself, mm-hmm. and the nose gear strut has a pivot pin that slides into that bell crank. So as soon as the gear comes up, it's disconnected from the steering, and their steering control box actually disables. It brings the steering to, stand, to center point and disables it when you move the uh, gear switch to the up position. Okay. So that that's all pretty. So that easy. that keeps it from getting hung up in the steering in the. Wheel wells and things like that. Absolutely. You know, no matter what you're doing with the rudder stick, nose gear is always going to go to center before it starts retracting. Okay. Yeah, that's good. It's it's disabled until it gets back to the full down position. Are you going to do that on the front two gear or on all four? Probably just the front two gear. Okay. Um, I have a couple of reasons for that, but I'll get to that in a second. That's fine. (laughs) Well, we can save it for another episode, even if you want. (laughs) We've already let too much out of the bag, so. Well, it is. We're talking about EDFs, and it is a big EDF. (laughs) Eight of them. Well, Uh, yeah. yeah. And there it goes back to the reason I brought it up is because the the B-52 is such a unique aircraft, especially with its landing gear. Um, Jason, I know that you know this, and and maybe some of our listeners do, maybe some of them don't. all four main wheels on the B-52 turn. Correct. And uh, I know you've said that it wasn't really used in practice much because flight. I guess it was kind of a finicky system and, most, and most, awkward to land that way. Yeah, most of the flight crews don't like it. Yeah. Um, 
what happens is for crosswind landings, uh, you die. There's a, it's actually the inside of the rudder trim knob. Um, you pull it up and there's a second knob inside of it. And that controls all four gear at the same time, turning in one direction. Mm-hmm. So if you have a crosswind coming from one side of the runway, you turn this knob, dial in. You got a crosswind coming from 20 degrees, for instance. You dial in 20 degrees on this knob. What that means is now you can fly the airplane into the wind 20 degrees, but your landing gear is pointed 20 degrees the opposite direction to line up with the runway. So you actually touch down with the nose pointing off the edge of the runway. Correct, into the wind. Yeah, you actually are uh, making your final approach looking crossways out of the windscreen. Correct, which is why the flight crews don't like it. Uh, For the majority of them, almost everyone, it's the only aircraft that they've ever flown where you're looking out of the side window touching down during a crosswind. Yeah. Most airplanes, you straighten up at the last minute. Right. And it's just awkward. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, It's also kind of a maintenance hog, uh, that particular system. So, Yeah. yeah. One of the other things, and, and we'll leave the landing gear alone, uh, with the mains, they don't just simply come in straight at each other. One one sweeps kind of forward and one sweeps kind of rearward. Is that correct? Uh, left side of the aircraft, the gear retract, the main gear retract forward. On the right side of the aircraft, they retract aft. Yeah, that's what I was and thinking. Aft and towards, all of them move towards the center line. But yes, they moved up towards the center line, forward and aft towards the center line. Right, all right, absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's an unusual configuration, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it's well. If there's anybody for the job, I put Jason on it. I uh, see. Know? I wouldn't even be, attempt it. No, 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 yeah. not not. I'm like, eh, I'm gonna go buy something else. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I'm I'm that guy though. And and now you know why I fly 3D. Instant. Gra- <laughs> I'm an I'm an instant gratification guy. I, I won't deny it. I absolutely, you know, love. The, the thought, the passion, everything he's putting into that, I wish I could do that. I'm not. I get OCD about stuff, and I end up, like, thinking about it to the point to where, yeah, I could do this. And then, I mean, like, seriously analyzing the whole situation to come full circle to, nah. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, that's a big step to go from, I want to build this airplane, to starting to buy the parts and the oh, yeah. stuff to do this airplane. Uh, yeah. And committing the time to do it. The landing gear for this thing is about twelve hundred dollars. Well, um, man, I remember getting a text message when you ordered all the ESCs and the EDFs, oh yeah, and I was like, oh gosh, yeah, that was yeah, a big yeah. hit. Yeah, that was a big hit. And I, <laughs> I wanted to call Horizon and ask, hey, can I get a discount for buying eight of these at a time? <laughs> right, dealer discount. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> goodness, man. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it's it's a big project. Uh, I I I don't feel like I'm doing everything from scratch just for because I have built a smaller version before. Uh, I built an 86 inch B 52 also ducted fan the retracts, um, all that had a working Bombay, uh, which I, I plan on having a working Bombay. That's, that's a whole nother issue. The, the whole reason this, the larger version started was because the smaller B 52 was an 86 inch wingspan. It flew beautifully. It was a good flying airplane. It was a lot of fun. Um, because it flies kind of like a powered glider, I was getting 10 or 12 minute flights with it. Oh, nice. Um, what kind of power systems were on it? It had uh, the Hyperflow ducted fans, which I believe are 56 millimeter fan. And you had eight of them on it? It actually had six. Okay. Um, it was originally designed with four, which it flew fine with four, but I added two more fans because I was having trouble taking off from grass. Hmm. Okay. From a paved runway, the four worked fine. There's no problems with it. But I went to a couple fly-ins where it was only a grass field, and uh, the extra power helped getting off the ground. Um 
in the end, that's kind of what killed it. But that's, that's a different story. Ask. Do I even ask what happened to this <laughs> this airplane? You know, I might cry, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, so the uh, the eighty six inch B fifty two had a, a a solid one pound payload. Um, I, I tested several times, and one pound was comfortable for me to take off with and fly around. And what we used to do with it was uh, we drop candy at fly-ins, um, fill it with a pound full of candy, take off. You fly in the grass next to the runway, you know, usually where the taxiways are, and drop a pound full of candy. I'd go out and fly some patterns or land the airplane, and we let the kids go out and run out and get a, lot, a bunch of candy. Well, in Elk City, Oklahoma, uh, you know, two hours west of here, uh, we had a fly-in. They invite the whole town out. Uh, for this flying, they used to put ads in the paper for this flying. Actually, it was a big deal for the town, and they had families come. You know, well, I went out there and did the same routine. We took a pound of candy, dropped it in the grass, and kids run out there. They're all happy. But I had four or five kids come up to me afterwards because they couldn't get any candy. There were so many people there, so many kids that they didn't all get candy. And I had the bag of candy. I set it on the table. You know, let the kids come get candy out of the bag. Of, you know. You know, you got to let them have the candy, but it's not nearly as cool grabbing the candy out of the bag as grabbing the candy that came out of the airplane. Uh, I agree. So my goal with the 174 inch B-52 was to be able to put five pounds of candy in the Bombay. (laughs) (laughs) I want them to pick up candy until they're sick of it. That's a lot of candy. (laughs) That is a lot of candy. uh, At Halloween, when Walmart has those five pound bags of candy uh, for sale, that's what my payload is. I want one of those to fit in the Bombay. And like I said, I, I don't want anybody else coming up to me saying they didn't get enough candy. Man, you know what? if that kind of payload, you could do puppies and kittens, bro. I'm <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking Splash. about children. Talk about a you know, talk about a kind hearted guy. He's gonna put all of this effort into it just so kids can get candy. Yeah. You know, oh, that, that's what I heard. Yeah. I don't know if that's oh, what yeah. y'all heard, but that's His what I heard. He's going to be the candy man. I'm going to have a $10,000 airplane to drop $2 worth of candy, and everybody's <laughs> going to be happy. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, you step in that process, you better be dropping Reese's and Kit Kats, not yeah. Uh, yeah. You better be bringing the not good stuff. Not or right? Snickers. Man, I'm talking like full-size Hershey's candy bars, dude. Yeah. We should be able to carry it. Yeah. That's funny. Man, that's awesome. Uh, that's going to be really cool. I think it's going to be – uh a big deal at a lot of events locally for sure to see that thing because everybody appreciates scratch built first off but it's not every day you see a scratch built bomber especially of this magnitude oh absolutely yeah yeah i was really expecting you said the still elk city that you loaded up this candy and just power drive this airplane oh no in front of all these people that's what i was wasn't a pinata (laughs) melted tootsie rolls for everyone yeah uh Ironically, how we lost it was uh, was flying it just for some kids, but it wasn't in Elk City. <laughs> um, too soon. Yeah, all these people came out just to watch this, and oh, no. we yard darted it in front of everybody. <laughs> so uh, the way we lost the 86-inch B-52, I was actually flying for a, I think it was a, a little church group that had asked for, some, for us to come fly. On a weekend, and some of the Dawn Patrol guys from here around Oklahoma City showed up, but they only had a grass field also. So yeah. we were we were basically flying behind the church. Was that the Guthrie Field? No, it was. It wasn't Guthrie. It was right here in town on uh, south of two forty. I don't remember the name of the church. It's on the east side of 
east oh, side okay. of 35. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, anyway, but, the you know, the Dawn Patrol guys flew uh, some biplanes, you know, stuff like that. The kids loved it. And they had asked me to come. I brought the B-52. And we lost it trying to launch it, actually. So this thing had been, it was about a 12 to 13-pound airplane, depending on the configuration. And we had hand-launched it before. Uh, a good mm. friend of mine named Gary Moxley launched it at CEF for me uh, two times, I want to say. Uh, and Gary was good at it, you know. Here, uh, Gary wasn't available. He lives in Texas. Yeah, I and, know uh, of Gary. I don't yeah. personally know him. Mike's over there shaking his head. <laughs> it's going bad. Yeah. So uh, I had a friend. Did he have T-Rex arms? I, no. No, he didn't. <laughs> But uh, he he attempted to launch the plane what's, for what's me. What's his name, Larry? No, it wasn't Larry. <laughs> I, I can say honestly, it was not Larry. I hate to beat up on that guy, but don't let him hand launch your airplanes. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that right now. I've had a couple of instances. It's just how it goes. You know, when he does it, it's going to happen. Uh, uh, sorry, I had to jab it in there. It, uh, it was it was, I, too, I totally it was a perfect time. We had to uh, throw it in there. We love you, Larry. I, I totally understand. But uh. The the B fifty two had a full flying elevator, which is also what I'm designing on the the, the new one. Um, so when the when the guy launched it, he forgot to hold it up to throw it. So it's a big airplane, like I said, eighty six inch wingspan, not a small airplane. Yeah. So he's holding it by the middle of the plane, underneath the CZ with one hand. He's got one hand near the tail, and his plan was to throw it like a javelin, which is cool. That's all great. Except it pitched down too much. Is what no, I'm thinking. he forgot to hold it up over his head. So when he went to throw it like a javelin, the horizontal stab hit him in the back of the head. Oh. Dude, that is priceless, though. <laughs> it got stuck full nose down when it did that. Oh. <laughs> so it, it went in front of him and straight down and, you know, destroyed the nose almost, almost all the way up to the wing. Oh, man. And then uh, he go to the ground with it? I don't think he fell. No. I mean, that's like video-worthy <laughs> disaster. <laughs> I, I'm picturing America's Funniest Home Videos right now. <laughs> that's Frank Sylvester curb stomp. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. oh. <laughs> it was uh it was interesting (laughs) man and dude you read a church you couldn't be like ah right yeah right in in front of a youth group no less right right (laughs) shit oh man darn (laughs) yeah (laughs) dang it with that being said i imagine that hurt a little bit that that probably hurt your pride a little bit huh so because it was such a good flying airplane and such a a loved airplane i mean everybody saw that thing thought it was cool um, that part, yes. However, at that point, I'd been flying the thing for about four or five years. So for an airplane that I scratch built and I wasn't sure it was going to work in the first place to have that long of a lifespan and then losing it was not a fault of the airplane. Yeah. I was, I was pretty happy about that part. Yeah. So, that's good. Yeah. yeah. A good positive outlook on it. Yeah. Which we were at the field today watching some AWACS fly by. Is there, are you going to try to do something like that at some point? <laughs> I, I, I saw you kind of eyeballing them and, uh, and I, I heard some comments. Uh, I saw a guy that modified a, uh, a 737. The, was it the E flight? Uh, oh, there's it in the, no, there's it's, not an, a, it's not an E flight. It is a kit though. No, there's it in the um, 737 either. Now that I think about it, there, there is a, it's the 737 kit. I forget who makes it. But he he modified it into a E3 and it looks great. Um, so the 86 inch B52, I did build a KC135 on the same scale, and uh, I never got to fly them together. The 135 is a whole other issue, man. It was another scratch build airplane, 
Uh, didn't take nearly as long as B fifty two, but flew good. Um, I I lost it in flight. That was actually that was, that was my fault. But <laughs> he well, said, um, uh, "Yeah, it's my fault." Well, when you yeah. got a when you got a four engine model, right, and you fly it until the low voltage cutoff hits. Yeah. If one of your outboard motors is the first one to cut off, oh. turning on the final is not the best place to realize that. No. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you that from oh, experience. No. Yeah. I, I can see where this is going. Uh, yeah. Don't turn into it. Don't turn yeah. into it. Well, with the B-52, I've had, I had, with the 86 inch B-52, I had motors quit in flight before. You couldn't tell unless you literally stalled the airplane, in which case it would roll towards the, uh, the motor that was not running at all. Right. Unless you did that, you couldn't tell. The the plane just kept flying straight. Didn't matter. But you know, you had two other motors on one side instead of one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't know. Um, but the KC one thirty five, yeah, it, it didn't like it at all. Uh, I had one motor shut off. It was a right hand outboard, and I was uh, Sharks Field in Shreveport, turning on the final, making a right hand turn. That that uh, far outboard motor quit, and that sucker just went straight into a spin. Oh man! Uh, at some point, though, I have a bunch of ninety millimeter fans laying around, and a uh, a KC one thirty five would not be out of the question. So I figured it up. I think uh, last week or so, and on the same scale as the B fifty two, a uh, ninety millimeter KC one thirty five would be about a hundred and ten inch wingspan airplane. And that's at twelve and three quarter. Yeah, scale. Yeah. So here's a question. So if you were to do that, you're running all these engines. What if you did like, uh, man, what do they call that? Like thrust vector, not not necessarily thrust vectoring, but like differential, differential thrust, like, differential thrust for like a, for like rudder. Can you do that? You can. You absolutely can. On those airplanes, I didn't see much of an advantage to it because I actually had a rudder. But yeah, absolutely. On any multi-engine airplane, it's it's possible to run differential thrust for yaw control. Yeah. Would that would that be beneficial on something of that size? What I mean is, it something you would use. Could you do like some wicked flat spins with it? I mean, <laughs> I one time, one time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a scale airplane, all the way to the scene of the crash, <laughs> right? On a scale airplane, I'm not sure. Uh, right. I've I've never tried it. It'd, it'd be interesting, that's for sure. Well, I talk a big game. I would never try any of this <laughs> stuff, but but I'll throw you under the bus and let you answer it. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure. I've tried it on some, you know, some other, you know, little knock around. I've got a. Uh, Oh, what is that thing? Multi, multiplex, uh, like a twin star, I think they call it. Yeah. 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 You can use differential thrust on that thing all day. It works great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I first met you years ago, you were flying and, and actually I think one of the last trips out to the flying field, uh, you brought out the 737 that you scratch built in the Southwest Airlines scheme and, yeah. and all that. Um, tell us a little bit more about that one. Cause I think that's a, that's usually a crowd favorite as well. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a beautiful plane. Yeah, and you actually had the photographs really well. Had that plane, oh, not too long ago. Yeah, at uh, Air Baxter. Yeah, like last month, maybe. Yeah, uh, I was going to say it was one of the last trips we were all out there together. Yeah, um, it um, needs to make a revisit. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's actually a lot of fun to fly. Um, so it's a, like I said, Southwest seven thirty seven three hundred. So relatively short wing compared to the seven or eight hundreds. Um, it's a Another scale aircraft, two 90-millimeter ducted fans. Uh, it's built from foam insulation, actually uh, the the blue foam insulation, um, sheeted with balsa and fiberglass. Uh, it's a lot of fun to fly. It's not uh, it's not a slow airplane. you got to keep your speed up. But as long as it has airspeed, it, it 
flies beautifully. But if I remember right, you were rolling that thing, <laughs> four pointing it. I mean, it wouldn't. I, I don't. I don't remember. I don't you know about the four point. It definitely wasn't know. flying scale, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, you weren't knife edging the runway with it, but you were you were flying it past its potential. I would say so. It does a, a show pass and a barrel roll just fine, right? <laughs> uh, like I said, as long as you keep your speed up, it's got plenty of positive control. It's a full flying elevator, also simple controls: full flying elevator, rudder, ailerons, and, and that's it. Uh, two ninety millimeter fans, six S five thousand packs. Uh, it's in parallel on that airplane. And again, it, EDF again, so I get a little over three minutes of flight time. Man, funny story about that airplane. So we were taking pictures of it when you had it out there. And I'm on like some photography pages and things like that. Well, I posted one of those on the photography page. And they're like, how did you get access to take a picture of that? I'm like, well, number one, it's not a real airplane. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and people were just blown away. What do you mean that's not a real airplane? And I'm like, no. That's a model. Yeah, it's a model. Because one of the pictures I took, and I, and I know you've got it because I sent it to you, but it was kind of sitting out in the clover in the grass. Yeah. And, you know, it was uh, the, the way that I did it, you know, everything was kind of out of focus in front of it and out of focus behind it, but the plane was dead in focus. Yeah. Dude, there was a couple of photography groups that I put that picture in, and they were like, how did you get access to, to do things? And, dude, it just blew their minds. Was like, that's not a real airplane. Yep. You know, it's a model. I'm like, dude, do what? That's the first time I've heard that. Hey, I've heard it from other people, um, from pictures that I've taken of. I have a picture of it sitting in my driveway at home. Right. And people tell me all the time, you know, if I couldn't see that house in the background on the other side of the street, right. I think that was a, a, a real airplane. <laughs> well, hey, I may have edited it and photoshopped some stuff. In there. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it might have been highly edited, but people were still like, what the hell, man? How do you, how do you get access to this kind of stuff? I'm like, that's, that's my, uh, probably, other than the F-18, that's uh, my, my favorite paint job. And it's actually, uh, so Cali Graphics did basically all the detail on that airplane other than the Southwest on the tail because I actually painted the Southwest lettering on the tail. Right. So the windows, the doors, the heart, because it's the old. Um, like the loves. Yeah. Kind of theme. It's the old Southwest scheme, the, the kind of yellowish um, airframe. Um, but the Cali graphics helped me out a lot. The pinstripe down the side, the white pinstripe, and the, the lettering on the tail, that's all painted on. But, uh, yeah, all the little details that came from Cali graphics. They did a great job. Yeah, it, lo- it looks excellent. And, man, speaking of the F-18, I can't wait to do some pictures. <laughs> it's a little bit harder to capture. That thing's moving real quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard for me to get that one nailed. It's, it's not as fast as the Ultra Flash, but it's a, a good solid 150, 160-mile-an-hour plane. Yeah. Man, I don't, you know, it, when you get to that point, you say 150, 60 mile an hour plane, it's hard to differentiate between the two if you're watching. You, you know, I mean, it really is. Which, I saw Mike do some high speed passes today right around the one, dude, that thing is hooking up. There is nope. no two ways to it. But man, same thing when you're hitting it with the F-18 just coming in. Like, there was a couple of those who were like, well, I'm going to get low on this one. We're going to hit center. And I'm like, okay. You know, and I'm standing out there with a radar gun going, oh, I had to take a couple steps over, you know, which you wouldn't have hit me. Everything was safe. Everything was good. But it was close enough that I was like, nah, you know. Uh, I, I know. Uh, we've we've caught that plane. No, not that one. Sorry. The Interceptor, which is a 120-millimeter uh, EDF that I have. But we've clocked it at 183 or 184. 
Holy cow. Um, for EDF, that for is EDF, wi- that's, that's way yeah, fast. And it's approximately the same size as the F-18. So there's an electric motor that would push that thing faster than the F-18 flies. Yeah. Nice. And uh, it's that that plane is actually kind of nerve-wracking to fly because it's, it's, it's not big enough to where, okay, you know, you can see it constantly. You You might roll the wrong direction and you lose orientation for a split second. Well, that split second, that thing goes a long way. Absolutely. I, I flew it into a cloud one time accidentally, a low flying cloud and scared the crap out of myself. Where'd it go? Yeah. Man, speaking of low flying clouds and scaring the crap out of yourself at our last fun fly, Mike's jet. Do you remember that? I don't. Was it your, I think it was your jet. It flamed out and like put me in a cloud of diesel smoke and I couldn't oh, see my yeah, plane on the ground. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm flying an upline and everything's good. And then a cloud of smoke goes and everybody's laughing. And I'm like, dude, this ain't funny. I can't see shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know where this is going. I don't, yeah. I just let go of the controller and I'm like, okay, maybe in a minute I can see. Oh, there it is. All right. I'm okay. Yeah. That was I not was, on purpose. No, I promise. No, no. <laughs> I was in Weatherford, Oklahoma flying at their flying when I flew into that cloud with the interceptor and I lost track of it. So I, I did the best I could to, to figure out where it was going to pop out of the cloud. Right. When it reappeared, it was pointed straight down past the end of the runway with the canopy facing away from me. Oh, wow. I rolled 180 degrees. Pulled. Yeah. <laughs> came down the runway at full throttle, and they loved it. They went crazy behind me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and your that knees was... sitting there banging, the, bruising themselves. <laughs> yeah. That was totally not on purpose. <laughs> knees shaking, everything was like, ah. That's the sign of a good pilot when you can play off a mistake. And, yep, I meant to do that. Yep. Pull it off and roll with it. Yep. Well, I'll tell you the truth. You know, talking about getting in the turbine game, that – you know, I fly a lot of planes, and getting the turbine game was really kind of nerve-wracking at first. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not the money, you know, because I, I mean, all my planes are, are big-budget airplanes. Yeah. But my knees have not shook in a long time. And there's just a lot of differences in the it, system, it is. the flight systems to every, it's, it's a whole different game. It's like going from airplanes to helicopters. Yep. Yeah. Well, that was one of the first things when Mike got that turbine and everything like that. And I saw a video of him test flying it and all that stuff. I, I hit him on Messenger. I was like, but what's that really like? And he's like, dude, my knees haven't shook. I haven't felt that <laughs> adrenaline in a long time. And what's, this is the guy that's putting up 40% airplanes, 3D in them, you know, tail touching, doing. And, you grabbing know, Mike, the rudder. Yeah, Mike's not going to pat himself on the back. This guy's a good pilot. Very know, good Very pilot. good pilot. You know, and to hear him say that, I'm like, man, that that's wild, you know. I, tell I mean, you what, I get that with a hundred dollar foamy, but you know, <laughs> I was one of the hand, one of the few that was there for the very first flight. And, uh, I'm a, it tells you how good of a friend I can be. I didn't even video it. I was, just watching <laughs> it. I was like, Oh man, you know, I was just, I was, you're in the moment and, and the bad. Yeah. I was in the moment. And the bad thing is I've seen this jet fly two dozen times yeah. prior to Mike owning it, you know? So <laughs> I don't know why I was so amazed by it, you know, but, uh, but he when he was fluid, I was just watching and didn't video it, and I'm like, "Sorry, man, I'm a terrible friend." <laughs> but man, it was one of the best landings I've ever seen made with a jet. I mean, it was just right on the center line, smooth, easy touchdown, and uh, I was impressed. I'd say I'm not sure I could have done it. Me personally, my landings with the turbine are better than a lot of my other landings with prop driven aircraft because I'm concentrating so much more. It's I, it's 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 a whole other level. You just you, you, you got to. And I will <laughs> say that 
every landing, you're sitting up paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know, cause a lot of us, you don't have that recovery, you know, that, that you have with the prop driven planes. Yeah. And, you know, you blow a landing with a, even a 40% airplane. It's you, not that big a deal. You go around, you come down. Pour the goals to it and go around. <laughs> right. But this thing, I mean, if, if you get it wrong, it's it's going to end ugly. Yeah. yeah. Well, Which on, on that last flight today when you were out there, me and Clay were standing right next to you, and, and we were bullshitting a little bit, and I was kind of cognizant of maybe I shouldn't be talking right now. Sure, you truthfully. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be. I don't know. I'm sorry. No, when you reach that point of your, your setup for landing, you're coming in, he probably. I have no hear- clue what's yeah. going on yeah. around me yeah. except that airplane. Yeah. He, he didn't hear what I, we I said. I don't hear you. Yeah. He's zoned out. Nope. <laughs> but I was thinking that. I was like, hey, Clay. I'm like, oh, I probably should shut no, up it, right now. Yeah. It doesn't bother me a bit. Now, I, I've flown with Mike enough. I I was pretty confident that that wasn't phasing him none. When, I, when I'm landing that thing, you could crash a car behind me. I wouldn't pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a guy last week, man. He's a, he was a fairly new flyer. And uh, actually, man. He'd been flying on simulator for two weeks, <clears throat> bought a plane at a swap meet, and was out there flying it and doing well. And he ended up crashing this thing because he thought he was ready to do some inverted flight and try some things out of his comfort zone. And I had flown by him like at a knife edge, which, dude, we were, you know, I was I was a couple of hundred foot off the ground. I'm not flying anything crazy. but And he and when he crashed and everything like that, well, Casey flew by, and, and I was like, <laughs> I didn't even see your plane. <laughs> I was so concentrated on what I was doing, I didn't even notice you. And I was like, and number two, don't blame that shit on me. You put it in the ground. Well, I got a backstory. Yeah. <laughs> me and Clay are flying at Duncan at the I, fun fly. I think he's going where I was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I got a flyby story <laughs> yeah. for you. And We're going down there. Apparently, Mike is already thinking what I'm thinking. Yeah. So we're out there flying together. And me and Clay, even at that point, had flown together mm-hmm. a pretty good amount. So we're pretty comfortable being there together. And you were flying the Mamba? Mamba 70. Mamba 70. Yep. And uh, he's out there flying. And I take off. I'm, I'm a 125-inch extra, my extreme flight extra. And we're just out there playing. And he he goes up in a hover kind of off the side of the runway and about four or five foot high. And he, he told me hovering, if I remember right. Yeah, so hovering off the edge of the runway to the south. Yeah. Yeah, well, stating where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I I come in from the north to, to do a flyby. Well, you know, even a a forty percent airplane full tilt down the runway is, is a hundred and ten fifteen mile an hour airplane. I was right. going to say you're doing three figures, but it's big. You right. Know, this is a big airplane. It covers even vertically with the landing gear down is pretty tall at full speed. Right. Well, when I finally get clay in my vision. There's nothing I can do except <laughs> go down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm already a foot high with the gear right. and I have to clear his airplane and I flew underneath his tail yeah. in a hover. Yeah. And it was, it was harrowing. I'll say that. Right. And, and let me tell you this too. That ZDZ-195 never sounded meaner ever. Because <laughs> I'm in a hover and I'm focused and I can hear this 195 wide open and it's coming up and it's coming up fast i mean because there again if you've flown around these big planes you you kind of know what their sounds you know what sound means what and i can hear this thing at full tilt boogie coming and i'm like all right i'm hovering out here yep okay and but at that point i never heard a word because we're back to the concentrating on the landing (laughs) 
It was a. Uh, it was a little bit of a pucker factor that day. His voice raised slightly. <laughs> yeah. As a plane passed underneath it. And man, <laughs> listening to this show, you absolutely know how monotone Clay Ricks is. You know. <laughs> I'm so, sorry. Can't be as cool as Casey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, so oh, the thing is, is we kind of had a practice run at this, what was it, two weeks prior to that? I think so. Yeah, maybe a couple <laughs> weeks prior to that, but it was the other way around. <laughs> and I was flying OPP. So, <laughs> so here's I love the th- that term. Yeah. I'm, 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 <laughs> so here's the thing is, Mike's got the 125 inch hovering it over the runway. And, um, uh, one of the guys in our club, Frank, I, I talk about Frank quite a bit, but he has one of the E-Flight Cessna uh, 150s. And Mike's hovering, and I come by, and I go under him, and it <laughs> it just makes this nice little bump. I was like, hey, that was pretty cool. Didn't really, it didn't slam it into the ground, you know? And we are so, talking, so yeah, this one's this, planned. It, it was planned out. It wasn't, it, this was like, you know, I was like, hold where you're, I was like, stay where you're at. Give me about, you know, four or five foot or something, whatever it was. Well, then the next time we come around and he's a little bit lower and this time I got a lot of prop blast and I don't know how the wing tip stayed out of the pavement, but it barely did it. And Frank was like, okay, that's, that was good, but that's enough. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that one again. So, well, man, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like out at Duncan, man, you know, when we were out there, there, there was, we were, we were, uh, we were on the edge on, on, on a lot of stuff. Like one of the pictures that we took, we had a couple of your airplanes out there, and Mike was hovering his slick, like right, oh, right over I, that's you. That's one of my favorite. That's, pictures. that's one of the coolest pictures yeah. I've probably ever taken an aircraft. That was a but, good picture. But man, stuff like that, you know. But you know what's funny? You know that whole photo shoot was planned. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know how hard it is to put an airplane. No, when you want to, man. Yeah. And here's the deal: to get it right, it took forever. I was about out of battery time. Dude, we, and we, we got centered that. it up. I mean, it was like centered between, behind his head. I mean, everything was centered up. I mean. I don't know if you could get – I don't know if you want to call it luck, skill, whatever you want. Dude, that picture, I don't know how hard you guys think it is to recreate. That's amazing. So that We pulled it off. That picture's still my background on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> it's still there. You know, the most challenging thing about that whole picture was how the hell Clay kept that same smile. Dude, he did. While we tried to get, he did. get that. I wouldn't call it a smile. It's more of a smirk, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's funny when I'm taking pictures for clay and stuff like that, you got to say some really dumb shit. You got to do some King of the Hill references or make some voices to kind of get a reaction out of him. Cause he's well, pretty, he wasn't happy to he could feel the prop wash hitting him in the back. Right. He's pretty deadpan. You so know? Yeah. Yeah. Clay's pretty Jeez. deadpan, man. That's not, Hey, that's, that's Jeez. we're not beating up on you. you know? it's, Liven it's, up clay. Come, come on. Yeah. I don't, don't feel like you're not beating up on me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good thing. I mean, your 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 concentration and your 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 actions never waver. That you're solid. That's, that's a pretty good compliment. Bueller, yeah. <laughs> Listen here, Bueller. That's exactly it. Bueller. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, man, I guess I'm gonna go home now. Man. <laughs> no, man. No. Uh, no, it's all good. Uh, we have a, we do, we have a good time. We've done a lot of, a lot of silly things flying amongst ourselves. I'm actually trying to think. I feel like we've done more silliness than that, even. Oh, 
you know what I did think about was speaking of slamming foamies, that was a pretty good time last weekend. I think that guy was a little bit mad. Yeah. So uh we're out there at this again, this is at the Sad Three D Festival. Well let's back it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> tell it. Yeah. Well one of our good suppliers that sells a lot of three D aircraft out in the northwest, I won't name any names, was down at Ice House last year and uh he has a really big Bushmaster. Well, they're out now, not flying underneath the uh, the work plant lights, mm-hmm. light and, towers, light towers. Yep, yeah. and uh, we don't call them that because we hate them. <laughs> but uh, anyway, different different story. Right, yeah. right. So he's out flying this thing with a little flat board foamy, just a little three D foamy. Gets underneath him, he slams it to the dirt. Prop wash it. Prop wash into the dirt. Which they're all flying together, so it was all fun and games, you know. Well, we go out to the sad event. And he's flying the same airplane that uh, our other buddy, Chris B., is hanging out with him <laughs> on the flight line next to him. Right. So you have a little bit of instigation going on. Oh, only a little bit. Yeah. So this little Mamba 10 is out there flying. And air- I will say it, we were all irritated with the foamies because, you know, this is a big event and it's all 100cc, usually, and bigger. These guys are taking off and they're just all over the place, you know. And you're dodging foamies as well as, you know, other hundred cc size planes. It's it's busy. It's a big flight line. Lots, lots of stuff going lots on. of traffic. And last thing you want some little, you know, flying ice chest out there to, to get in your way. <laughs> so, it, this guy takes off his little Mamba ten and is out there hovering. Well, Tim walks up. Or, or, dang it! I said a name. <laughs> Edit. Edit. <laughs> walks this giant Bushmaster, which it's the only Bushmaster in existence, by the way, so everybody yeah, wow. knows who it is, and uh, kind of gets over the top of this little Mamba tent and just slams it to the earth oh, with the prop wash. I mean, it it, it waxed it. And the, the guy kind of played it off that he wasn't, but you could tell he was, it wasn't laughing and fun and games like anybody else would have. But, uh, so it, it's kind of getting me a tradition that this giant Bushmaster... <laughs> Sends a foamy of some kind to, to the earth. Yeah, it wouldn't happen to me. The the Bushmaster with the case of beer t- sl- <laughs> strapped to the top of it, would it? No, okay. different one. Okay, which man? It's I didn't bigger see than the, that one. I didn't see the video from the side event, but I think I saw one. I can't remember which event it was. Probably Ice House. Yeah, I think it was Ice yep. House where they. It was the same airplane. The yeah, yeah. I saw that video. That was dude, pretty funny. I laughed. I laugh so hard. And, yep. and, dude, usually I'm the guy flying the foamy that that would have happened to, and I maybe not should have laughed so hard, but I did. <laughs> well, no, the the beer Bushmaster, that's actually Chris's, and uh, or Chris's dad's. Uh, was it Mark? His name? Mark, yeah. It, it, he was Chris's dad the whole weekend. But anyway, he uh, somehow that cover got lost out in the cactus somewhere. <laughs> And no one saw it, apparently, when it come off. Mm. And uh, Chris was like, what the hell? How did this happen? Yeah. You didn't see it come off? And and it's not a little hatch. I mean, this thing is <laughs> yeah. a foot and a half long <laughs> by eight or nine inches wide. I mean, it's a serious yeah. piece of airplane coming off. Yeah. Well, anyway, it got lost. So then no hatch, you know, because you don't just find those anywhere. So we had to fashion something up. And I don't remember whose idea it was, Chris's, maybe Mike's. Somebody come up with the ideas like, well, think about using just a beer box. And so Mike and I went over there and we crafted and cut out and 
uh, made of hatch cover. So that's what that was for. That was an improvised solution to it. Uh, I saw a bunch of pictures of that thing. <laughs> uh, it was. We were having a good time with that. Other than it being a curved light box, it was. That was, was pretty cool. Oh, it was McLoeb. Yeah, it was McLoeb, <laughs> McLoeb Ultra. But yeah. the way the box oh, worked awful, out, size-wise, it put that can or bottle perfectly in the center. So yeah. <laughs> it, it worked out pretty good. It, it was the best we had to work with. I mean, the other option was Coors, ironically. Right, right. <laughs> but it was the best box we well, had hey, to work with. I'm no beer snob. Let's face it, I'm a beer snob. But uh, I would go with Bush over Michelob Ultra. Hey, so speaking of beer snob, I saw a beer at – Texas Roadhouse last night. What was it called? A uh, feisty blonde or something like that. What is a blonde beer? Man, a blonde is kind of like just a just a regular ale, oh. you know. But it's but it's a lighter on the side of ales. Okay, so you just prove that you are a beer snob because you knew that because no one else knew that. Apparently. I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, geez. <laughs> It, hey, I do. You, you walked right into this little trap I had set up for well, you. Well, man, I'm not going to lie to you. A year and a half to two years ago, I couldn't have answered that question, but I have a really good buddy that brews beer, and I've learned some things. And you hang out with him. It's kind of like hanging out with us and talking about airplanes and stuff no. like that. You're like, uh, no, you don't do that. No, I, I get it. I'm you friends know, with Renee. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you totally yeah, – <laughs> it's just I've, I've learned some stuff over, over a little bit, and I'm not trying to like <laughs> – show my clout or anything but i've learned something and if i can pass on knowledge to somebody else i would love to do that absolutely knowledge is power right that's what we're about right <laughs> yeah i tell you what usually amongst me, our yeah. immediate group of friends that we talk to regularly if they don't know it's probably you're gonna have to go do some digging because we have a pretty good group of people that we hang out with that have pretty diverse knowledge on a lot of different things i mean we don't know shit well, no, I mean, like, like sitting here right now, you know, everybody's got their own little deal that they kind of, their, their little aspect that they're really hot in. I mean, there's, there's some yeah. stuff I would take to Kirk that I would take before YouTube or any of you guys and, and vice versa with all of that. If I've got an EDF question, a jet question, a scratch building question, I'm coming to Jason. Yep. You know, if I'm flying big scale stuff or got some gas engine stuff, I'm coming to Mike. If I've got some aura setup questions, I'm coming to you, you know, and I mean, I'm not like putting you guys in a spot necessarily, but I mean, it's real. I, I have a, an eclectic bunch of knowledge that is like on my phone at any time that I can call <laughs> and everybody helps me out. It's amazing. We, we all kind of have our own specialties. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what my specialty is. I think my specialty is just uh, recording <clears throat> podcasts. Well, no, production, no. marketing, yeah. I, I, guitar playing. I actually know of another <laughs> one. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a cat I want to let out of the bag, but I'm pretty excited about it. Honestly. Oh man. Should we I, talk about it? I mean, we can if you want. Well, what what you're doing and what I'm going to try to do are a couple of different things. I would I would rather not talk about what I was going to do. Well, what I'm doing though requires your help because I can't do it. Well, dude, it I don't know why you can't do it because it's four wires. I probably could. I just don't want to. And honestly, it's really only, it's really only <laughs> at least he's honest. It's really only three. Yeah. It's really only three wires. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the the thing that you're asking me to do for you that you think is like crazy is like the easiest thing in the freaking world. You it know? might be. I just don't really want to. <laughs> hey, that's okay. Casey do it. Hey, and I'm your guy. I'm going to yeah. take care of it for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, th I think I think we ought to save it. I, I think we need. Yeah, we covered a lot of stuff all, on the show. I'll we need to save this one for the next show. All I'll say is, uh, I actually, I, 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 want I will to let the teaser out. It's, right. It's FR Sky. It is FR Sky. And I've bashed FR Sky quite a bit. He does. He bashes it on me. I do. But it's okay. 
Mainly because you bash on me about Spectrum. Well, but. true. Well, the only here, I'll be honest. <laughs> the only reason I bash on you for Spectrum is because I come from the drone background more than anything else, and all of us were flying FR Sky or you know, dude, it could be Dragon Link or you know, Black Team Black Sheep, anything like that. Yeah, and you can't fly rectums. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Everybody said in the in the quad world is like friends don't let friends fly spectrum it's called team fail safe that's what we called it it's like oh you're on team fail safe that's awesome you know so that's not necessarily a dig at you it's just it's part of my coming up you know well i don't hear mike and jason get digged at so that's why i feel it's a dig at me well man here's what's funny about me and you is we we go back if they trust their stuff to a spectrum radio that's on them that just say that I don't have that level of trust. Well, here's the wow. thing, man. Me, me, and you were talking about a tough crowd. I know well, it. Me, me, and you were. Oh, yeah. on a, we're on just a, picking at each other. Well, yeah. we're on a different level of friendship to where I can give you shit. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. These guys, I try to be nice to them, man. Oh, you know, I, I'm not trying to, to bust their balls. We have gotten to a different level to where I can bust your balls, you know, because here's the thing. I'll just bust any ball, anything, anybody's balls. I anything I say, Clay's going to fact check anyway, <laughs> you know, so I think it's funny to throw Spell that check. stuff at him. So he'll come back at me and be like, hey, you were right or that ain't even close. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I got you, bitch. You know? <laughs> well, if you're ever in the mood to argue, look, just call Clay and say the sky's blue. Oh, man. <laughs> it, 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 it's It'll be some kind of. Turquoise. Reindeer. Reindeer. <laughs> I literally, man, me and Clay probably have hour and a half to two hour conversations at least once a week. And, and it, dude, it could be on anything. Dude, it doesn't even have anything to do with airplanes. A lot of the time we're talking about music or movies, pop culture kind of shit. You know, I mean, just, well, we talked about Jerry Cantrell for 20 minutes yesterday. Right. And it blew your mind that I actually know that guy. Yeah. And he's calling bullshit. You don't know him. Like, <laughs> Well, you can't really fact check that. Maybe we'll have to go hang out sometime, you know? That would be cool. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I don't argue about everything. Thank you. See, he's arguing about it now. He can't help it. No. It just flows. Hey, here's the thing. Quay, Quay is an inquisitive person. You know what I'm saying? He was, He's like, he questions things, and that's good. That's a really good person to have in your corner because – He's going to test things out. He's going to know things that you don't know, things like that. Clay's a good soundboard to hit him with something because here's the thing. I come to him and I'm like, man, FR Sky's got 500 millisecond fucking repeat, blah, 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 whatever it is, you know, and he's going to, he's going to fact check that. He's going to go and research it to prove me wrong. And then I will know the answer. <laughs> you, you, you know what See, I'm here's saying? the thing though. I, I want a recording of that stupid song, Let It Go. Right. And, and when he goes off, just, just hit the button. Yeah. Let it go. So Let is that, go. so is that going to be your sound file to add to your transmitter? Dude, I fly, oh. I fly a crappy DX20. It doesn't have all that cool crappy stuff. D- yeah, right. Dude, my $100 Tyrannus does all I know. That stuff. It's badass. Yeah. Mine says timer expired. That's Which it. Clay was kind of giving me crap. So I have got an old X9D and I totally debadged it. There's no FR Sky or anything on it. It looks like an old JR radio. And Clay's like, what are you? What are you kind of weird about? Ashamed of it. Yeah, he's ashamed of it. That's what he said. And I'm like, no, I'm just cleaning it up a little bit. I'm one of those guys that go buy a brand new car and I'm taking all the emblems off of it. I wanted to badge it. You know, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. I want to make it my own somehow. I've got a first gen DX18 and that thing won't tell you anything. (laughs) I flew with one of those for a lot longer than anything else. Does, does well. 
it works great. It's a good radio, but it don't talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, getting into the hobby and, and how I came into it with drones and stuff, I mean, that was like the prevalent radio. That's that's what you had, you know. And it suited me really well because, man, I barely fly drones or anything at all anymore, you know. All I'm flying is fixed-wing stuff. Yeah. You know, and kind of getting into the 3D stuff and, you know, messing around with all of it. And, man, that radio has really suited me well. I know it's not a popular Mm-hmm. You know, man, I'll, deal, but but it I, works. I'll tell yeah. you the truth. About ninety five percent of the radio crashes of any brand were not radio crashes. No, they were user error. And it, it's just it's always or, easy to say, right? Blame it on the radio, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the ego and pride yeah. override the. And which I'm not going to lie to you. I put one in the ground. I'm like, fucking half our sky. This is bullshit. <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I'll be that guy probably. I mean, I won't lie to you. And just to be honest, the thing about Spectrum is a lot of the older receivers were really susceptible to voltage drops, and people would run older NICAD batteries, stuff like that. If the voltage drops and browns out, it's like five seconds for that receiver to reboot and reconnect. Yeah. And that's where most of them, I believe, It's setup issues, not radio issues. Yeah, improper from the start. I was going to say, a lot of it, I think, was people trying to run 4.8 batteries. Right. You know, and that worked on the FM stuff, but it you doesn't move work today. More than two servos at a time, yeah. there's too much voltage sag and it browns out the receiver. Right. And man, something I noticed too is antenna orientation. You know, you want 90 degrees. Or no, is it 90 degrees? Yes. Uh, yeah, 90, from, yeah, yeah. From each other, yes. Yeah, yeah from each other, yeah. you know. And I, dude, I've seen guys that are flying some big name stuff with some big name radios and, and, and very expensive planes, and that receiver's just thrown in there. They ain't yeah. pointed yeah. in any direction. Yeah. You know, and I'm yeah. not talking about spectrum per se. I'm talking about all the systems, all of them. Yeah. You yeah. Know? They're, it, it, it comes down to it. You can be pretty sloppy right, on any system and 99% of the time it's going to work like it's supposed to. You know, I, I think a lot of your brands like spectrum get a bad name because one thing, there's so many of them out there. Yeah. That that's it. I mean that if you're going and, to a hobby shop and buying a radio, you're probably getting a spectrum yeah. and if people are getting a start in a hobby with that. Yep. If 80% of the people out there are flying spectrum, 80% more people are going to have, have radio problems. issues yeah. than Absolutely. anybody else. Right. So my, my big disclaimer is whatever you've got, you feel comfortable with and you've tested and everything like that. It's a great radio. Yep. It doesn't matter what it is. It yep. could, it could be a fly sky. I don't care. Yep. Yeah. I've been hearing lots of good stuff about the new, is it the jumper? Radios? No, uh, it's the Radio Master. Radio Master, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Which which Jumper and Radio Master, they're very, very similar. It seems like Radio Master kind of took the Jumper kind of idea and right. refined it. I have, what I, understand. I have a friend of mine that got one of those. Now, he flies drones and quads and stuff, but it's not a bad radio. Dude, It's I mean, if you're used to the Open TX kind of protocol of everything, it's it's a real user-friendly radio. It, it I mean, and they're going to have updates to where the screen is actually touchscreen. And when that happens, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a game-changer radio, and, especially for the money. What I think the best thing is they're multi-protocol. They're multi-protocol. out of the box. Yep. So you got it'll do FHSSS, which is Fataba. It'll it, do it, it'll do Spectrum D, DMS or DSMX, DMX, DSMX and mm-hmm. then and then uh, all the FR Sky stuff. It, dude, Wakira, all the dude, even like the like the non-hobby stuff that you can go get a like yeah. WL Toys, the toy grade it's, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's got that hmm. protocol and everything built wow. into it. It's actually pretty cool. And you can get those at Buddy RC. Nice. So I know I, I, I smoothed that in there. That was good. We have an affiliate link in the, in the show notes and also yep. a 10% discount. I, we, uh, we kind of skimmed over. We, uh, 
I actually forgot. We were going to try to segment the show a little bit better, and uh, one of the segments that we were going to do was uh, listener it, listener questions. It's hard to do that. It is. We're going to have to. I'm going to have to make notes next time right. so I can stay on track. But yeah, we have fun talking. Yeah, we did. We had a really good time. But uh, one of the things we did, we talked about it at the last show. Uh, send us your listener questions, and you know we'll try to answer them. Which so we actually got one. Yeah, we did. Do we want to play that? Uh, I, no, that's not that one. I got another one. This is an actual serious question. Oh, <laughs> no. yeah. we're going to do that one too. Like an actual listener question, not like a voicemail. Yeah, we got a voice. Okay, well, we got I'll, a voice message. I'll pull the voice message up. You go on yours. Okay. So, uh, Brenton Bowker sent us one, and he uh, he said, "Next episode, uh, can you guys discuss CG on airplanes and helicopters?" And he says, what are the function and consequences for CG mainly with airplanes? Like what does nose heavy versus tail heavy do? Okay. Uh, and I think we got a, a pretty good crowd, at least to answer the, the airplane side of it. Kirk can probably help us with the helis and Mike, you used to fly helis. So you can probably answer that a little bit too. Um, so airplanes, uh, you know, what's the old saying? Uh, nose heavy flies bad. Tail heavy flies once. Yep. Um, I don't completely say that, that that's not the end all be all in today's world. I mean, because uh, aircraft generally design speaking, has changed that a lot. Yeah, and generally speaking, uh, Mike and I fly probably more tail heavy than say someone else might, just because of the planes we're flying. Uh, and, and also, that's an advantage that uh, the Aura has afforded me with the sixty inch airplanes. They're they're really pushing that tail heavy boundary. Yeah, um, and, and the Aura kind of smooths out some of the bad flying characteristics that come from tail heavy. But uh, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, typically, what nose heavy? It's going to land a little faster. It's going to it's going to be smoother. Going to be a little smoother, like a like an old pattern plane would tend to be on the. Yeah. So when I set up iMac plane, I run a nose heavy condition, mm-hmm. not severely nose heavy. Just just but, to the nose heavy yeah, end. We're to the nose heavy side. So I want to be able when I roll inverted to be smooth. To have to hold a little bit of forward pressure mm-hmm. on the stick, and that's how I set up a plane for precision. Now, for a 3D or anything like that, where I really want a airplane to work, you want a more neutral. CG. Yeah, it'll be neutral or slightly tail heavy. Yeah, and, and neutral. When you check your CG, uh, what I tend to do mm-hmm. is roll the airplane inverted and straighten level, and I want it to slightly pull down. And in a 45 upline inverted, I want it to, to do nothing. Exactly. I want it to roll and then stay. Exactly. Um, one of the things that I do too on the 3D airplanes, I actually read this on a How to 3D Maneuvers Facebook group one time. A guy was talking about doing a suicide and how it comes out of the suicide to help determine the CG. And basically, a suicide is a vertical downline and uh, tend to do it power off or at least low power setting. Uh, yank up full up elevator and i uh i look for it to come out in a almost a harrier i don't want it to go past that but i don't want it to come out nose low either and that just helps with being able to rotate into hovers uh being able to really flip it around it's, get that good uh, pop right get that good pop exactly yep. like you know doing things like waterfalls uh even i'd say pop tops crankshafts things like that you really need it to be able to spin around that wing real easily and uh that tends to to afford that when it's a little bit more tail heavy, where when it's a little bit more nose heavy, you got to really work it to keep it in a hover, to keep right. it in a harrier. It doesn't want to do a lot of those violent maneuvers that uh, that a more neutral CG will provide you. Um, yep. That being said, though, in a tail heavy condition, if you're not prepared for it, or even if the plane is not 
tolerable to it mm-hmm. sometimes can be unflyable. Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, these 3D planes that we fly, you can get away with pretty, pretty severely tail heavy because oh, yeah. you have They're huge authorities. Forgiving. You know, they they float. You, you can get away with it, <clears throat> but you get into a jet, something like that. You have little control surfaces. Even just a, a scale airplane. Yep. Well, I'm going to go back to, to wing loading. Uh, a lighter wing loading plane tends to, to handle that. It has a bigger CG envelope too. Um, whereas a, a heavier wing loaded, um, you get a tail heavy airplane. It can easily enter a spin that you cannot recover from. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to me, uh, the, the uh, tail heavy or nose heavy issue is uh, the more nose heavy your model is, the less elevator effectiveness you get. Absolutely. Um, and to a point where you end up adding speed to get the elevator to become effective, mm-hmm. you need more airflow. And then at low speed, you may lose elevator effective effectivity way quicker than you would on a properly balanced airplane. And with the tail heavy, then it's just instable in pitch. Um, some airplanes like to hunt where they, they'll randomly um, oscillate between nose heavy or between climb and descend if they're tail heavy on, on a scale airplane in particular. Well, and, uh, they tend to want to snap too. Yes, they they snap a lot easier. Yep. yep, absolutely. Well, you can take today. You know, you, first time with the jet. You know, it, it's a nose heavy airplane. Well, and, and when more, you would do a roll, it's on the nose heavy end. It's it's not what I consider nose heavy. Excess. You know, like when I think of nose heavy, I think of excessive nose heavy. Right. It's just a forward CG. Right. So, but yeah, you know, so when you did the roll, it pulled. You didn't have enough forward pressure because you're used to the 3d planes yep but that plane is set up basically how i would set up imac plane where it takes about that same amount of forward pressure and i would say generally speaking a more nose heavy airplane will maybe uh, clip through the wind a little bit easier clip through turbulence a little bit easier won't bounce around quite as much would you agree with that penetrate a little bit better yeah right yeah Yeah, there's just inherently more stability yes in a nose heavy design right and we're saying nose heavy Forward CG yeah. is probably a better way to yeah. to put it. Right. You know, yeah. Nose heavy, kind of think of the extreme conditions where uh, you can't flare on landing and, and things and like that. And I'll go that. so far to say whenever you look at uh, most models and they give you a CG range or a recommended CG point, that's a, really a reference point. That's not an end-all, be-all where yeah. it's going to be balanced at. Now, I would say with jets, the jet designers probably have that a little bit more refined. And, you know, um, Kike, when he designs an airplane, he, you know, he hunts, he searches around and says, you know, this CG is what I found to work the best. Yeah. But you still tune it to a degree for your liking. You know, a lot of guys take 3D. Uh, Mike, for instance, I don't think you balanced your airplane. I don't You just threw one. everything in there and went and flew it. <laughs> but the thing is, is the, the plane that we're talking about, the 125-inch extra, um, generally speaking, you can put – Pretty much, if you put it where most people are putting the batteries, if it'll fit, if it'll fit, it's probably going to work anyway. And then you're going to go out and fly it and make adjustments from there. You may want to move the batteries forward or aft or something like that. See, that's weird to me because scratch building an airplane, I have to figure out the CG myself. Exactly. So I'm pretty particular about it. When I figure out where I want it, I put it, I make sure it's there. So I understand when you're building a, a, a kit or even an ARF. The manufacturer says it's here. Yeah, well, especially with ARFs, if oh. you put the equipment in that's recommended and it goes in the right spot, yeah, you expect it to be right. close to where the manufacturer said it, it was going to be. It's going to be close enough. And that yeah. range is going to be inches, several inches. Yeah, because 
Depends on the airplane. Well, that's where I was fixing to go. <laughs> with with our planes, it is several inches typically. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're going to give a range that the average pilot can fly. Yep. The inexperienced pilot can fly. So that range they're giving you, if you're in that, it's going to be a pretty docile airplane. Yeah. You know, where if you move well back behind that, it's is it flyable? Radical. Yes. But it's going to be your, <laughs> you're going to need more of your expert type pilot that's going to be flying at this range. Yep. And, and you're going to need to know what to expect. Right. Now, what kind of, now with your jets and with the scale stuff that you fly, it's, it's not like that. Your your range may be uh, fractions of an inch rather than several inches. Uh, at the size I fly, usually it's it's quarter, half inch, you know, which is not terrible. Um, I generally like to test fly an airplane where the manufacturer, if it if it was a, a, a kit or an ARF or something like that, I like to test fly it where the manufacturer recommended but then, yeah, I'll, totally, I'll adjust it after that. If I didn't like the way it felt mm-hmm. for some reason, if I want a little bit more elevator authority and I felt it was stable enough for it, yeah, I'm going to move the CG back. A little bit more maneuverability, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's all a matter of taste and pilot preference. Yeah, problem with scale, too, you also get into where you can put everything. True. That's why I see so many warbirds and stuff with pounds Lots of, of, of no weight, weight in them. Yeah. You know. Well, that's what Clint, you know, they're having to melt a lead down <laughs> yeah. because of the, it just takes so much to get it to balance. Almost everything from World War One, you're going to have to do that with, though. Yeah, because yeah that, that yeah, D-80 yeah. is building, I think it was like 12 pounds yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. on the front of it. The, but the but it's not is, uncommon and it's not unexpected. Because yeah, that, yeah. mo- that motor's three inches from the leading edge of the oh, wing. Yeah. Yeah. The leading edge of the wing, so mm-hmm. you don't have much moment to, yeah. right. hey, to do it. You got to make up for the moment with weight. Yep. That dude about killed himself melting lead. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm joking. He aside. definitely lost a few brain cells. And he doesn't have many to spare. <laughs> oh, man. Talk about digging in. I knew Gosh. it was coming when we started talking about lead. I knew it was coming. <laughs> well, <laughs> the full-scale airplanes I flew, the turbo, uh, turbine spray plane stuff, we actually had lead bolted to the firewall or right. to, the, to the motor mounts. So it's funny you say that. Uh, Back to B-52s. When they pulled the tail guns out of B-52s, they have a huge concrete block in the tail to make up for that weight, don't they? <laughs> uh, the the old ones, the D models or so might have, yeah. The H doesn't because it was kind of – they've, what do you say, advanced beyond that <laughs> by that time. But there's so many modifications to that airplane. It's, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, though, uh, scratch building an airplane or building your own aircraft, you do learn a lot about it. One of the things that I learned uh, in relationship to this CG uh, conversation on the B-52, the CG runs directly through the middle of the bomb bay. And I didn't realize that until I built a model and had to balance it. And it makes sense when you're going to lose 70,000 pounds of weight in four seconds yep. that you would want the CG relatively close to where that weight's going to come off. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so with uh, the scratch building too, that brings up something that um, – Myself as an ARF builder, I don't think about much, but uh, mean air court yep. and actually counting, uh, calculating mean air court. How do you go about it, especially on a swept wing, on a uh, like on a double taper wing or, or a, uh, a straight leading edge, straight trailing edge type wing? I don't really see it being crazy difficult to calculate mean air court. Um, swept wing adds a little, adds another factor to that, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a lot. A lot more complicated on a swept wing aircraft. Mm-hmm. So in general, a flyable 
uh, mean aerodynamic cord is considered to be 25% in, in general. It's a good starting point for almost any aircraft, especially a straight wing aircraft. It's 25% is considered to be a flyable location. On the swept wing aircraft, it's still 25%, but it's a harder calculation to figure up where that is. Right. Uh, Can you kind of run through, explain how you figure uh, the mean air cord? Because I've seen the the diagram, but maybe we can kind of, I don't know if it'll be a good one to describe over. Man, Jason's eyes just went, do what? No, I'm thinking No, (laughs) we can do this, but I'm going to have to pull it up myself because I look at it every time I have to figure it up. Right, right. I I pull up the the actual uh, computation or the, uh, the formula. Yeah. I look it up every time because I don't remember it in my head. So the way I've heard it described, at least with uh, straight wings, uh, tr- you know, taper trailing edge, double tapers, um, go from the corners, basically, and draw, a, uh, like say, from the top left to the bottom right, and you draw a line through it, uh, top right to bottom left, draw a line through it, and then that X, where it crosses, will be the center of the wing, and then you measure the distance uh, from leading to trailing edge at that point, and then that gives you uh, your total cord length, right? Okay. And then you take 25 or to 30% of that figure from the trailing edge. See, I've never heard of it done that way. <laughs> Man, I don't know about you guys, but I just heard like Charlie Brown freaking show, and it was like, wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Like, no, I'm sure he's right, but it just, that, that kind of math doesn't. Man, I'm not a math guy. I've done it repeatedly from flying EDFs and swept wing aircraft, but I literally, I look it up every time. And part of that's because I'm lazy, and part of it is... To make sure you got uh, it right. Well, yeah, that's one of the things that... So as a mechanic, uh, the, as a, a Air Force mechanic, I was a crew chief for six years in the Air Force. That's one of the things they tell you, one of the first things they tell you is don't memorize technical data. Yeah. Not only does it change, but you can get it wrong. Well, uh, like my job, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find it for yeah. you. <laughs> and, yeah. And that, that right there goes a long way. You know, you're not expected to know everything off the top of your head. Just know where to go get it. Mm-hmm. And so that sounds like a similar deal. It, it definitely, yeah. Yeah. So the heli CG. See, I never even knew how to figure like, what do you even balance it off of? I just, the rotor. Yeah. I was off center. You rotor. pick it up off the main rotor, yeah. basically turn it up 90 degrees and see if it comes down and settles horizontally, usually. So, but CG on newer helicopters isn't nearly right. as important as it was on the flybard helicopters. And is that because the flight controller kind the of The flight controller will compensate. I mean, you could about hang a brick off the tail, and it would almost compensate it on a lot of new ones. See, even – I've never flown the new stuff with the V-bar mm-hmm. type stuff. You know, we always had counterbalance. And, you know, bars even and those, everything. basically it was just to pick the blade up, you know, pick it up, make sure it didn't so, do anything stupid. But, but hovering is where you really felt it. You know, right, it heavy, would drift. You trim it out, right. Yeah. And you kind of could predict how the heli was going to behave – from how it balanced. So how do they behave? So what does a nose-heavy helicopter do? It goes forward in a hover. All the time? But it, how does it, it do? It wants to just lean yeah. It wants to drift all the time? Yeah. It'll drift in that direction. So that does heavy. that give you – Does that, I mean, obviously in a hover that's a problem, but what about in other flight attitudes like uh, you know, forward flight, doing maneuvers, things like that? I, I'm sure there's some issues, but you don't really have that inherent stabilization. 
So you're always making corrections anyway. On nitro helicopters, you can always notice which side your pipe is on. It'll they'll generally drift to that side for one. Number two, you're counteracting two different moments of rotation with the tail and the other. So, yeah, it's what what do they say? You know, I don't think you get into eight hundred small parts flying together, separated by thin oil leak, something like that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was was something along those lines. (laughs) I, I mean, I've never flown one extremely one way or the other. Yeah, I'm, but, by, I'm by no means a 3D pilot at all. But it's you're not going to have that sensitivity changes as of, you do with an airplane. As you do with an airplane, I see. Especially, yeah. I, th- I would say with the new flight controller, it's kind of like running the aura or something mm-hmm. like that, dude. If we were to switch that aura off and a tail fig, you know, a tail heavy configuration, you know, like like you guys like to fly them, it's almost unflyable. I have that airplane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, me and you have talked about my, this. my slick. It's so tail heavy that if you go to aura off, it is not fun to fly. No, right. It's, it's, it's a handful. It's right. a real handful, yeah. You know, which I, I haven't been able to ever switch the aura off. It just feels so good on. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to turn it off. But uh, I, I would say I probably run most of my stuff a little bit nose heavy, but I don't necessarily fly a bunch of 3D. I want yeah. smooth, sweeping lines. I'm not I'm not a pattern guy. It's just well, you that's take, what I fly, you know. You take like my extra, my 125-inch extra. When I fly that airplane, when I come into land, I'm actually putting forward elevator when I'm touching down. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. And but I've flown stuff like that for you know over ten years. See, I'm a weirdo flying it, profiles. Right. When uh, other people fly my aircraft, they're like, "Man, let me trim this for you." It's, it's like nosing down <laughs> a lot, which I personally like to have a little bit of positive yeah. back pressure. On the stick. That's where, you know, where that detent, where you feel where center's at, and a li- just a little bit past that, I feel like that's good for me, and that's level flight. You know, a lot of people pick up my radios like, man, this thing's trimmed a little like, nose down, and I'm like, well, I like it to be a little more nose down. That way I have control over it. That's Bro. just the way that I learned how to fly. It's not right, necessarily. It's, it's not but, necessarily wrong, either. For a right. lot of for a lot of full air scra- uh, full-scale aircraft, for precision flying, a lot of pilots like the positive feedback of the plane actually wanting to go nose down slightly. Right. It's just a positive feedback thing. Right. That's it's, that's kind yeah. of what and, – and I like being able to hold that positive feedback back. When I'm coming across the field low and fast and level, I have a little bit of positive feedback on it. And that feels good to me, which I don't know if that's right or wrong. That's well, you just take, how I've learned to have, You, learn you to take fly. that jet. When I'm doing those passes with it, I'm having put quite a bit of forward elevator. Mm-hmm. And it's right. awkward. Right. You know, when you're trying to make a really nice, smooth, yeah, forward, real low pass. Right. Forward elevator. Feels, when you're pushing towards the ground. Yeah, that feels really awkward, awkward to me where pulling a little bit of back does not feel awkward but, to me. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let me back up a little bit. You know, I, I flew spray planes for, yeah. you know, for quite a while. Mike's a badass. We actually trim those airplanes going across the field. You're holding forward pressure. Right. There, there's a reason for that. It's, it's called distraction. Right. And you're not naturally going to shove the stick forward. Right. But going across the field, if you get distracted by your spray system, (coughs) you want the plane to naturally want to climb out. Right. And you, uh, I mean, not much. I mean, if you do it too much, your arms can be, look like Popeye by (laughs) by one day of flying, holding all that forward pressure. But you always wanted that little bit of climb out to. That's interesting. Where I really noticed it was when uh, Jared Clark was down and everything like that, and uh, he had the buddy box set up on the Mambo 120, and uh, he let me fly that. And I, and it I was neutral. Well, yeah, 
I don't know. I don't know what it was, but to me, it felt like it just wanted to climb where you would have to have forward pressure in there. He's giving me shit. He was like, dude, you're up there. Dude, the wings are going to ice up. And I'm like, well, it just keeps on going that way, you know, you know. And then uh, when he was flying my plane, that little OMB extra that, that I've got, you know, he's like, man, let me trim this out for you. He's like, no, don't, don't. I like it where it's at. You know, I was yeah. like, I understand, you know, after flying yours, now you're flying mine. I see why you want to trim it up a little bit because I yeah. noticed it when I was flying your plane where I really needed, you know, some, some elevator down, you know, in my stick process. But and you always have to remember a plane is trimmed for an airspeed, right? Yeah. Yep. So if you trim it for this and then you're flying at a little bit more power, a little less power, that plane's not going to be in trim. Right. Yeah. So. I th- man. And I really feel like it's a feel thing, which like I said, I don't know if how I fly is right or wrong, but it feels natural to me. You know, See, the I, way you're talking, I, I've actually have had some like that. Like, say you want to make a nice low pass, it's it's comfortable to let the stick come to to neutral, and it just have a slight descend. descend. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. so you want to make that nice low high speed pass. You just eat, relax the stick, it descends, gets down, and then when you get it where you want it, you just barely a little bit of back pressure, and it levels off nice, nice and smooth, right. and so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm it, weird because I always trim mine dead flat, even and level. But I generally do. Everybody's too. a little different. No, I, I generally do too. But I know what Casey's talking about because yeah. I've flown some like that, and it's it, it keeps a little positive interaction with the plane. Yep, just feels good. I, I mean, and that's <laughs> that's not for everybody, and I and I realize that. And, and, and like I say, if, if you trim it for half throttle flight, mm-hmm. w- when you come in to make that high speed pass, you're going to be holding some forward stick. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. just you know. The plane's making more maybe, lift. Maybe that's what it is. I'm trimming so, it at full throttle. <laughs> right. You know, that, that might be it. I mean, so, that, that could totally be it. Well, that actually comes up uh, something I was just thinking about is a uh, tail-heavy aircraft. Uh, or let's say this. A, a plane that's generally forward CG or neutral CG, if you add power, they're going to maybe tend to climb slightly or level off. And then when you pull power back, say making an approach, you pull power back, the nose is going to naturally drop a little bit, and you're going to descend. Yeah, and that's what I expect to happen. Yeah, and then I've seen planes that are excessively tail heavy, and you pull power back, and it starts slowing down, and then it starts pitching up. Yep. Yeah, that's and to mind. an inexperienced pilot, you think, <laughs> "What's it doing? It's not doing what I'm telling it to do. I lost control." No, it was tail heavy, and it was doing what it knows to do, which is to drag its tail around. Yep. So sometimes, um. You know, like with a, a no, an excessively nose-heavy airplane, you may have to land it a little bit hot in order to be able to rotate and to uh, set the mains down, or you know, be able to to get that plane leveled out. And then, a, uh, instead of a nose-down attitude, you know, because if it's nose-heavy, it wants to pitch down, and you may have to land a little bit fast to have control authority, right? Hopefully, that's making sense. And then the opposite's true with a nose-heavy or tail-heavy. You may have to fly a little bit fast so you got enough control authority to keep the tail up. And and be able to keep that tail from stalling well, you. Well, see what I do. Like my one twenty five is is tail heavy, mm-hmm. and uh, so when I turn final, I'm back at idle. I'm coming in on short final, holding forward pressure on the stick. And so when I come into my flare, at, at one point, a lot of times even when I'm touching in, I have zero. You're elevator. just at neutral. I'm almost at neutral. Mm-hmm. Now if I want to come in and do a three point landing, I'll have to come back behind the the center a little bit. Yeah. But that airplane, it just and. It, it it just takes practice of knowing what the airplane's going to do. Right. And, you know, if, if you've never flown in that condition, it it can be nerve-wracking, you know, because like I said, the plane's not responding 
what you like, think what you learn to fly with. Where right. a trainer, you chop power, you're, you're on short final, you're already feeding in a bunch <laughs> of up elevator, <laughs> and then you know by the time you're touching the wheels, you're you're buried back at the with the stick. Yeah, and it, it, it it's just a different sensation, right? Which so. you know a lot of that could lead to to my experience level. I don't have the experience level of anybody sitting at the table, but I, but it feels right me you know exactly and that's what's important i mean you right. have to trim a plane to what you like yeah but i feel confident too that i'm sorry i'm no. sorry jason no, 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 it's only the fifth time that's all <laughs> i know uh what you were describing clay is uh one of the ways that i was taught to recognize a, a nose heavy or tail heavy plane when you slow the aircraft down to a stall if the nose drops first then the cg is you're either nose heavy or you're that that can also be the correct CG depending on how quickly the nose falls. Right. A slight nose down attitude, you're probably good. If the tail falls first, you're definitely tail heavy. Right. Um, from a stall, and that's a, a function of surface area based versus the the distri- distribution of the weight of the aircraft. Right. But you definitely want the nose to fall first, and, and that that's like I said, that was one of the ways I was taught to balance an airplane. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and it makes it feel more natural. At least for me, you know, uh, one that when the nose tends to drop when you pull the power, that that to me is a more natural feel. Yeah. Now, what Mike is describing is you're not seeing a noticeable. The nose isn't climbing noticeably until it gets pretty slow. Right. I mean, it, it's near yeah. stall speed when he when he's so it's not excessive, and then I think that needs to be emphasized. Is it's not excessively tail heavy to the point yeah. that at half power the no the tail's dropping on you or nothing like that. No, it's that plane is idled back, slowed down, right before touchdown when it starts to do that on its own. Yeah, and, and if and if I was up higher and did that, it's not gonna yeah do a weird stall. And, yeah, you know it's it, it's it's just gonna kind of mush down. I've definitely flown air, aircraft like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and when you're not prepared for it, it's a surprise. But once you know what it's doing and you know that you can recover from it, it's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah you, you know, you you can tell on these airplanes, especially a tailwheel airplane. Within power getting halfway up, if if it's going to be flyable, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're rocketing down the runway and the tail still hasn't come off the ground, don't take off. You just you better stop where you're at. <laughs> yeah, just pull back out of it. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I assure you, when those mains come off the ground, it's going to get even uglier. Yeah. So, lastly, we were talking about helicopters, and once we maybe we can put this to bed after this. But when I first heard about balancing it on the on the main shaft, uh, for whatever reason, I had it pictured in my mind, just grabbing it by the shaft and holding it in my fingertips. And then I actually saw a guy he took and, uh, he folded the blades out straight as if it were in flight, uh, had the blades perpendicular to the uh, fuselage and he had his hand right under the uh, blade grips. He just picked it up like it was a wing tip, you know, just had his fingertips underneath the blade grips and looked at it like that. That does nothing. For CG in a helicopter? Yeah. Why would it do nothing? Because if it was tail heavy, the tail would drop, right? Well, because of your moment of angle right there is so small. If you actually pick the helicopter up, turn it 90 degrees, and let it balance, you've got a lot longer moment of rotation to see it. You won't be able to notice something being out of balance that close to the 90 degrees? What do you mean? Yeah. The nose up in the air? Grab the main rotor by the blade grips. Mm Mm-hmm. In each hand, 
turn the helicopter 90 degrees in the air. Oh. Well, like with the tail pointing straight up in the, the air. the tail boom falls And let the, the whole tail boom and helicopter right. balance itself out. Okay. Yeah, so you're holding, you're holding yeah. the blades. Yes. And you're, you're letting the... Basically, how you balance props, you're letting it come right. down like yeah. that. Yeah, you're using the bearings ah. and the ma- the main rotor mass yeah, so you're as you're picking your balance up the point. Actual blades vertically. You had the pendulum effect just sitting there hanging out below it. That was Y'all. a big bang. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Oops, and it wasn't a theory either. Sorry, folks. <laughs> okay, that that was me punching the mic. But the the most important important thing to balance on any helicopter is your rotational balance, your blade balance. Yeah, yeah. I have actually taken the entire rotor head off and put it in a Dubro balancer by itself and balanced the rotor head separately from the rest of the helicopter. Gotcha. And then balance your blades. And you can do the same thing with your tail rotor. Actually take the spindle out and the gear and put that in a Dubro ba- blade balancer and balance that just like you would a regular prop. Yeah, that yeah, actually, because your vibrations come in, from the head come from the your, any rotating mass and rotations are what will mess with the gyro itself and cause other errors. I got you. Okay. So that's why I flew Raptors <laughs> because they did a little Raptor dance on spool up anyway. You can't balance a Raptor. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> There's not enough, you know, t- gluing pennies to the blades to <laughs> see what I was taught was like that blade balancing a ceiling fan was actually one of your most important yes. parts was, you know, Getting down the eye the level actual with it tracking and checking of the, the blades, yeah. Yep. And the way I've always done that is literally hover it at eye level. Yep. Look for the gap and at the end. Look for the gap in the. If you see one blade at horizontal, you're good. If you see two blades, one of your two blades is at a track. Yep. And I'll mark one side of or mark one of your blade grips, and only adjust one side. Exactly. And always adjust that same side. Once one is level in in your setup, leave that one alone. Mm. Yep. Okay. Otherwise, you'll just end up chasing yourself for hours. Okay. It's fun watching them uh, do that to a full scale uh, helicopter. It's oh, a lot wow. of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> he said, I'm out. So, are we ready to do listener voice message? Yeah, let's do it. Who did it? Uh, well, man, it was uh, it was the partner. The partner. The partner, <laughs> Matt Sybeck, that sent us a message. And I've listened to this already. He's kind of busting on me a little bit. So, a a lot of bit. A lot, a lot of it. I listened to it as well, yeah. I haven't yeah, heard it yet. Jeez, technical difficulties. Maybe. Damn iPhones. <laughs> there it goes. Hey, wait. Casey, dude, look, man, uh, you just select the model, and you click on copy. That's all you got to do. <laughs> so uh, let me know if you need any other uh, tips or hints or uh, tricks on Futaba. So what he's talking about there is like on the last show, I was talking about uh, copying a model on uh, Fataba 14SG, which apparently I was taught the improper way because uh, Matt's right. It is that easy. <laughs> and uh, I did try this theory out after I heard this message, and it, it is that easy. But I was instructed a little bit improperly. So, I mean, I'm going to take partial blame on this. because Blame the teacher. Because, uh, you know, I was behind the radio, but I was You mean told you didn't fact different. check it? And I didn't <laughs> fact check it. Yeah. There's yeah. your problem. Yeah, that's it. Well, you know, and I did hit up Clay, and I'm like, hey, can you fact check this for me? And he's like, uh, you're on your own, bro. I don't know. So. Yeah, I must have been asleep for that one. I don't remember that. Actually, I didn't. I'm just calling Clay <laughs> out, just busting his balls. 
But no, uh, thanks, Matt. And uh, absolutely, you were right. You can just copy it and just move it on. I was I was instructed that you had to create a new model, move it to that section. Man, I don't know. I'm not a Futaba guy. On FR Sky, it's that easy. Like, hey, I want to copy a model. Hey, move it down. Oh, there it is. Models <laughs> copied. And apparently, it's that easy on Futaba too. So, yep. yeah, I think we've all done a pretty good job of figuring out that pretty much most radios do the same things. Just maybe worded a little different. Right. Yeah. I, we haven't found anything that one does that the other really doesn't do. Really, the the verbiage is just a little bit different. Yeah. Is is probably the biggest factor in all of these different radio systems. Okay, I've got a question then, because I've, I've only flown a long time ago. I flew JR, and obviously I fly Spectrum now. So I have one question about that as far as features. On the Spectrum, I know I can set up my gear and my door sequencing in the transmitter. Mm-hmm. Can you do that on any others? I don't know. Jetty. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. You I don't know. Well, he didn't say yes. He just said Jetty. <laughs> He didn't tell you how, why, or anything. No, he just no, said, I don't yeah. know how to do it, but I know it can. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair but, enough. But I feel confident that uh, you could probably do that with an FR Sky. Yeah. All right. I would have to. And I, I don't know. I will say probably. Jetty and FR Sky or OpenTX actually are, they have a whole lot of simul- similarities. Similarities, yeah. Yeah. Which, man, you used to own yeah. an FR Sky. Yeah, I had a Tyrannus. And. How does that correlate over to like the Jetty stuff? Does it, I mean, when you were started to program the Jetty and starting to learn that stuff, did, did a lot of stuff carry over? Or? Well, uh, one some... of them is four figures. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I could have bought five Tyrannuses for what that uh, Jetty right. cost. But, well, hey, uh, I'd, and I'd receivers. Never, <laughs> right. I've never flown the Jetty, but I will tell you that that holding that thing is like holding a fine piece of an Italian equipment that's just, it, it, you mean Italians build blocks well hey I'm talking like when I <laughs> actually say, it's Czechoslovakia when, when I say Italians I'm saying like Ferrari or Czech Republic like it, it, yeah. it's it's oh, a, so you're talking about a block maybe I mean because sometimes block. okay it's is, built like a pizza box man, with two sticks so do the they send but a guy to your house to size you for your special vest and your, <laughs> yeah. and your tray <laughs> Well, the, the sticks are adjustable. Yeah. Well, well, hey, I will uh, say. The jetty harness, I, it gets me every time. Oh, I know man. Exactly what he's talking no, about. I don't have one of those. <laughs> man, I will say, and you know me, I'm not, I don't talk shit on any radio, but dude, it feels good. It's, it's, what, which man, I come from a background of analog electronics, you know, like uh, guitar amps, things like that. And Resistors, diodes. One, one of the ways that, dude, quality, heavy. You know what I'm saying? If you pick up a guitar amp and it doesn't weigh a whole lot, it's probably not a decent deal, you know? That radio is the same way. Jetty's it's, heavy. It is substantial. When you feel it in your hands, it is substantial. It, I mean, it feels good. Well, you, you know? buy the radio and you get a 20-year subscription to your local chiropractor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <go with> it, <laughs> so. and, then, and then you get the fucking button that's like, hey, Gino, <laughs> whack him. You know what I'm saying? It it, it you're, you're you're in a different well, cult. Oh, all joking aside, they are no no. It, they it, are high end radios. It they feels are it. Fe- I not I haven't flown with it or anything like that, but just holding it in my hand and just and and messing with his dude, it feels exceptional. It feels yeah, great. It's, it's it's like driving a Mercedes. Yeah, Jason's yeah. over there laughing. Yeah, I didn't say in my mouth. <laughs> Come on, Jason. I didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say a word. <laughs> so it's funny that that comes up though. Is uh, last weekend. Uh, Mike and I got a chance to briefly fly with the J 
JR T14. And man, ergonomics wise, it's on point. Which man, I mean, I, I have flown a little bit of you guys' stuff with, with your radios. It feels great. Jason, the same way. All that stuff feels really good, you know? Mm-hmm. I will say my IX20s could have been done better ergonomics. Right. It could have been done better. Uh, that's where that Fataba 18SZ is better than the IX20, in my opinion. Wait, it's, wait, it's, wait. It's, it's Clay a, just admitted Fataba felt better. It does. It, it's ergonomically is better. And I'll tell you, though, JR, and I, I know Mike kind of has talked about JR quite a bit lately, and, and I've looked into them. They're nice. Yeah. They have some really cool stuff coming out. Um, we were fortunate enough to get to hang out with quite a few JR guys out there and uh, get to try out some of their equipment. Which, man. Dude, it's on point. Which I will go as far to say, which my opinion doesn't matter because I fly with one of the cheapest radios out of the bunch. But all of this stuff feels good you know all of it works you know it's Mm -hmm. i mean it all goes down to whatever you're comfortable with you know like jr i mean that was always their slogan feel the difference yes and they have always been a really comfortable radio i i still have my old jr 10x yep and i challenge you to find a better feeling set of gimbals (laughs) on any modern radio compared to that one that's 20 years old yep it's funny that you say that because just last week Someone, a very respected individual in the industry, uh, I was told that that's how he measures radios, is how they feel in comparison to the JR-10X. Yeah. (laughs) It it was that good of a radio. Yes. That they're still talking about it today. I still have mine. If it was 2.4, I'd probably still be flying it. Yeah, where JR kind of slipped on the ergonomics was when they went with the 9303 and the 9503. Yes. They didn't have the feel that JR radios, but they put the 11X out. And it was Which good. is a really good feeling yes. radio. Yeah. It it may look like an alien face, but yeah. it feels really good in your hands. Well, or and that's how, that's how the new T14 and T44s, they feel like the 11X. Yeah, they resemble mm. that 11X in, yeah. in look. The styling and the... But the gimbals are even better. Right. I, I had the 11X, and it, it had really good gimbals. Mm-hmm. But the yeah, I've, I've, their new stuff is just... It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Which, man, you guys give me a hard time about... That X9D or whatever, what what JR model is that radioed after? The 9303-9503 style case. Right. The one to like Mike was just talking about. It, it was just different from what the, the – I didn't really know the JRs prior to the 9503s, 9303s, but uh, the ones after feel a lot different. Yeah. And they feel phenomenal. The old <clears> – <throat> the old – I call it like – it's like a square body Chevy. The old JR10Xs are real squared and heavy, but the, each one of the switches is it's clink clink for it, it's very positive yeah. feeling. Yeah, mine was the, the eighty one hundred three. Yeah, and I say like I said, everything was solid on them. It yeah, just, I, I compare it to a square body Chevy because you know even the radio the edges are squared off and it's they're just a solid built piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. The screens on them are horrible, and you yep. could not see them in daylight to save your life, but the rest of the radio was really good. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about the time period that you're talking about. What, yeah, that's you a 20-year-old radio. Yeah, or turn of the century type stuff, yeah. I mean, really what's cool is you can get some of that same high-end feeling with some of these inexpensive radios nowadays for these guys that are just getting into the hobby, mm-hmm. things like that, which, man, am I going to trust that X9D or that QX7 to – yeah, a 40% aircraft if I ever decide to build one. 
probably not. <laughs> you know, now I don't know necessarily what I would what I, what I would get to replace it, but you know, when you start stepping into that kind of stuff, but it's one of those things that you know there there's something for every budget that's actually decent nowadays. You yeah. know mm-hmm. that where. I would say 20 years ago, that wasn't an option. It, you know, that there wasn't it was stuff a real out barrier like to entry. Yeah, real barrier to entry. 20 well, years ago, like four, three what brands? Say what? You know, back then you had JR, you had Futaba, Airtronics, and High Tech. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty much it. it was kind of your four. Yeah, and High Tech's totally out of transmitter game. Mm-hmm. Airtronics, I hadn't heard of in yeah, I 10 years. Yeah, they're done. Yeah, I hadn't heard of them in at least 10 years. As far as transmitters go. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's they got real big in the car market. Airtronics did, yep, with their radios. And then speaking of transmitters, we can go full circle where we're. What what was your? I don't think we talked about that. I didn't know if we were going to let that cat out of the bag. Just Which yet. we can let your cat out of the bag. We can't let my cat out of the bag. Yeah, that's I, up. To I think you. we just leave them. Uh, All right, that's let's build it. Let's okay, build let's, it. Let's build okay. it. Yeah, yeah. So I, build I agree. It. Let's build it. Make sure it works. Kind of get some stuff going. And oh, then we'll sure, talk just about throw that. my cat out in the street, but we're going to keep his in the bag. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't well, know. We only get to <laughs> let one out per show. Hey, I can and, totally edit your cat out. I'm just yeah. saying. I'll, so, I'll, yeah. so just for fun, let's say what our first radio was. Mine was a JR Max 4. Uh, mine was a JR also. I don't remember what model, but it was a four-channel JR. When I was a kid, I flew with... My mom's boyfriend's, uh, it was a Futaba gold box. And then whenever said, I happy got happy birthday, uncle dad, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was never mine. It was like, here, okay. You play with this for a little bit and give it back. But, um, when I got back into the hobby six years ago, uh, it, I, the first radio I bought was a Tyrannus. And then after that, I went to a Futaba 14 and then to a, a Jetty. Yeah, my first radio was it was a Flysky IA10, which it was all touchscreen stuff like that, very very thin profile. Oh yeah, I remember that one had like an Android phone in the middle. Yeah, of yeah, it. had an Android phone in the middle of it, and I, man, I bought it off a of Hobby King with two airplanes. Like I'm gonna fly airplanes. This is what I'm gonna do. Yeah, and and that's what I got, dude. And I will say that that thing still works. I still have planes bound up to it, and every once in a while I'll break those out and fly them. And I'm not opposed to flying with that radio. I like my Tyrannus better overall, but all that matters is it's fun. Yeah. That's all that matters. And I tell you what, setting that radio up was way easier than, than making the move to Tyrannus. Cause I mean, it was like all touchscreen. It was like, Oh, so like I started kind of flying gliders and started looking into, you know, stuff on YouTube where they had full house gliders. So you had crow and butterfly and all this kind of stuff. Dude, it had a crow button. It had a butterfly button. You know, I mean, it did all that mixing for you. So, I mean, I was walking out of the field like a stud. People were like, how did you get that program like that? And I was like, well, I hit pushed the button. I hit this button, <laughs> you, you know. So, it was, yeah. it was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, now, my very, very first was when I was a kid. Uh, this is prior to me really learning to fly. Uh, I had a Photopic Conquest 4-channel. Yep. And uh, then fast forward to when I was an adult and, and I, this is my, I consider the official time that I got in the hobby. Um, I'll be honest. I bought one of the, uh, park zone, uh, ready to fly all in one box deals. Uh, it was an ultra micro P 51 and it come with a little game controller style <laughs> controller. You know, it was just I, I spectrum based, I assume. Um, but, uh, that was my very first one. And then, um, I, 
like Casey, um, I bought some stuff on Hobby King because I was a broke college kid, didn't have much money. So I bought a fly sky that you actually had to program it using a computer. You had to plug me a broke college kid. No, I said <laughs> I was, but I bought a fly sky. I bought, I was buying stuff on Hobby King a bunch and, uh, I bought a, it was a fly sky something. And, uh, anyway, you had to have a computer to program it. You couldn't even program it from the transmitter. Uh, you had to hook like a USB cable to it and kind of deal like that. And, and I flew that very briefly. And, uh, then I bought another ready to fly horizon airplane. And that's what got me a DX five E and I flew that for a while. And then I wanted multi-model memory. So I got a DX six I and, uh, that's what I had when I moved to uh, Duncan or moved to Oklahoma rather. And then I jumped up and bought the DX 18 kind of went from there. I, I made a pretty good leap from six I to 18, but I knew I was serious about it and going to stay in it at that point. Man, I remember the days of, when 2.4 first started coming out, yep. somebody would walk out there, take off, and everybody screaming, antenna, antenna. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm, pull it out. I'm 2.4. I'm good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, Which, I, one I, of those. When yeah. I really got into it, 2.4 was was uh, fully established by that point. So I didn't yeah, I, I didn't live the days. And when I briefly flew as a child, you know, as a, as a young guy, um, I didn't fly at clubs and stuff. We flew out in bean fields and stuff like that so we didn't really we didn't have frequency boards and we just all flew one at a time so we wasn't worried about you know wiping each other out kind of deal like uh, a lot of guys where you guys flew maybe more at clubs and stuff that was a big deal yep so. well one of the things like you guys are talking about like flying fm and getting knocked out of the air it was <clears throat> when we would have these fpv meets or we would hang out with five or six guys and we we're all flying fpv we're on the same channel or their channels that bleed over to each other. I'm flying. This guy freaking plugs a battery in. I can't see shit. Yep. Oh. You know, and and I could be, you know, a pretty good ways away, not where I'm at. And like, ah, unplug, unplug, unplug. You know, and you're yelling stuff like that. So I kind of understand a lot of the FM. Oh, the same thing happened. Cause yeah, you, you know, the same kind of FM stuff, you know. It, you were kind of trained that when you powered your plane up, especially a transmitter. Right. You'd listen. Mm-hmm. Or somebody starts screaming, yeah. You know, if you're 55 and you're sitting there, you power your transmitter to somebody. Because you always do, a, you know, a check of your plane. Right. And some guy on the flight line starts screaming, 55, 55. Yeah. You, you, you reach over and off. kill it. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's funny. And so, I mentioned uh, Gary Moxley earlier. He uh-huh. said you were, oh, uh, that's how I met Gary. I was flying in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, we had a field kind of between, not a, a designated field. It was like a soccer field between uh, uh, two roads on a highway and it was a known place we'd go fly and I was flying there one day and I saw another plane out the corner of my eye flying on the other side of the highway from a different little grass area and back at that time we were still using 72 megahertz so I was flying I saw the other plane flying and it was wasn't until I was getting ready to go home that day that I realized it's a good thing we're on two different channels and I Packed up my stuff and drove over to see who was flying. It was Gary over there flying. Oh wow! And uh, that's how I met Gary Moxley, and a, I, I flew with him for years. He's a great guy. I like hanging out with him. But that's how I met him. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've got a similar story. I we'll have to save it for another show. But uh, when I was first getting into flying, uh, one of my good friends that he actually knows Gary Moxley as well. His name is Greg Harper. That's uh, we have a similar similar story on that, but. I bet we're running really high up on the time here, aren't we, Casey? I'm checking. <laughs> yeah, we've been at it for yeah, quite we're a while. Yeah, we're at 2:52, so we need to wrap this up. 
Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, just to con- kind of conclude, hopefully this uh, wasn't too too much rambling. We we hit the EDFs a little bit, hit turbines a little bit, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh want to thank uh, all the sponsors of the RC Scrap Pile and, and by affiliation, uh, the Nuts and Bolts podcast. We've got uh, Buddy RC is, is really – they really they, stepped up. They've stepped up and they're helping us out big time. And uh, we've got an affiliate link uh, that you can find in the show notes of both shows. Um, just if you don't mind, use that link if you're going to shop through them. We would appreciate it. Um, Smoking Okies. Uh, he was on uh, one of the recent shows from yeah, RC oh, Scrap Pile. Eric Kendall. Eric Kendall, yeah. He's, uh, I think. Uh, He's got some pretty big news he's coming out Man, with soon. We, he he made a post about it. Yep, and we got two weeks to find out. It's uh, I'm not going to let it out. I was asked not to let it out, but I did hear, and it's pretty exciting. We're going to talk lie. after air because I don't know. You're going to have to clue me. Yeah, it's it's cool. So uh, keep an eye out. Watch out for uh, for updates from uh, Eric on that. Um, who else we got? RMJ Machine Works. RMJ they, Machine they, Works. They definitely have have stepped up and been a a good a good uh, friend in this. And there's a lot of people buying from them. I've I've gotten multiple messages that hey, we really appreciate what you guys are doing on the show. We've gotten a lot of orders, so I love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bjorn makes a good product, and it sounds like everybody that's using them is. I've heard nothing but positive feedback so right. far. Well, from I mean, a lot of people. You ain't gonna get a bad ring from that guy. Right. Um, man, I feel like we're forgetting a bunch. Help well, me out, man, Casey. Yeah, okay, there's a lot. So, you know, we got RJM Machine Works. We got Jason Duran at uh, ZDZ Engines and also RC Batteries USA. Yeah. That's, I mean, he's helped us out on engines. He's helped us out on batteries. I mean, it's just awesome. Right now, I think he's got a deal going on to where if you buy a battery or whatever your order is, there's a good chance that it could be free. It could be comped just because of, you know, you ordering, he's going to take care of shipping, everything like that. So I, I think he's like, whoever orders, throwing, throwing a name in the hat, somebody gets all their order free. So Ooh. that's, that's a, that's a good deal, you know? Yeah. Hey, his batteries are a great price and you get a chance to win. You know, it's, you're gambling a little bit, but if you need something, hit him up. Right. Absolutely. I need another set for that 737. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You're going to need lots of batteries, brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah get ready. Yeah, I mean, Hope you got your credit card there, ready. I mean, you got <laughs> yeah, you got Joe Vermillion. I mean, Terry Wiles. I think we missed on one of our shows with him. Man, that that guy's an amazing guy, but he's doing some really cool stuff out there. Oh yeah, Terry and I uh, have kind of grew a friendship over the last few months. And man, talk about a good guy. Yeah, that guy. Talk that guy's that guy's guy. awesome. Yeah. I, I should have done a little more research. My bad, Terry Wiles. Yeah, he's yeah. uh <laughs> Yeah, I actually. uh I was talking to him about the Duncan event, and he was like, man, I was getting really excited about driving down, but I've got an event that weekend I'm already dedicated to, and I'm thinking, you're going to drive from South Dakota to Duncan, Oklahoma for an event? Like, right. That's, wow. Yeah, that's a, that that's a drive. It sounds like you need to get your priorities that's straight, dedication. Terry Wiles. You need to come to Duncan. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not going to bust his balls. No. He drove all the way to Ice House, and we have not been to South Dakota yet, so. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that, Terry Wild. So, yeah. Now, he's he's a solid dude. He's a good guy. But, man, there's a lot of supporters, and all of that stuff will be in the show notes. You know, help yeah. support the guys that support us. That's all we can ask for. You know, we're we're trying to get everybody linked up with everybody to, to do the best we can for the hobby. And yeah, you can be a part of that. 
Absolutely. It's very easy. You know, another way you can help us out, you know, we've got t-shirts on Teespring, you know, go up there, make an order, you know, um, you can uh, just like and subscribe to the show. It's easy. It's free. That's all you have to do. Yeah. You you got to, you got to practice for when we go to YouTube. Hit yeah. the link down below. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah. us, you know, <laughs> ring the bell, all the stuff. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to get my game up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So thank you guys for listening and, uh, thank all the supporters for helping us make this all possible and, uh, send us your questions. If you've got questions, you know, if you've got questions for guys that aren't always on the show, you know, Mike is an excellent resource for information. Kirk is another guy that, all these guys feel free to right. send me a message yeah. on Facebook, yeah. you know, join send, the face or send group. me, you know, send yeah. one of yeah. us a message. If you don't want to send them direct, send us a message and you know, we'll, uh, we'll ask around for you. And, uh, yeah. So we got the Facebook page, the yeah. Facebook group. You can get on anchor, leave us a voice message. I mean, there's, there's multiple options for you guys to get a hold of us. Just, uh, and, try to explore and find those and, and hit us up. And I beg you guys, please, Prank phone call the scrap pile. <laughs> it will please. get played. It will get played. <laughs> yeah, it will get played. I'm talking like, share, and subscribe. Crank yankers something. Right. Like, Which, that make may... fun of Casey some more. I'm we not... like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it in stride, man. Yeah. I, it's, all, it's all good, man. It's all in good fun. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Yep. Take good care. Night. Thank you. Good night. Fly good. Don't suck. See ya.